is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's up, everyone? Hope you had a great weekend. Welcome to a Monday edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Andrew Patterson, Michael Remus with you for the next couple hours. Lots to get into. Logan Stanley's got a contract with the Winnipeg Jets, signed on the weekend for one year, one million bucks. And the Bombers are all alone atop of the CFL in the CFL Western Division after a Bomber win on Friday night and a BC Lions loss in Saskatchewan last night. We'll get to all this. And not to mention Winnipeg's Brad Katona winning under the bright lights of UFC 292 to become the first ever two-time winner of the Ultimate Fighter. We're going to have Aaron Bronstetter jump on with us to discuss that as well as that wild knockout by Sugar Shane O'Malley in the main event of UFC 298. We'll focus in on the Winnipeg Jets and the Bombers with Jeff Hamilton coming up. And a little later on, Eddie Tate will join us from IG Field with a little bit of uh, bomber talk and a practice update, which did include Zach Caleros leading the first team offense. We will get to all of that in just a minute. But first, let me thank the sponsors that make Winnipeg Sports Talk happen every day. Cool Bet Canada, Princess Auto, Aquatech, Modern Man Barbershop, Manitoba Battery and Canadian Club, F Apparel, Nick and Nikki DQ, Wallace and Wallace, Invita Health Fresh Market, Consolidated Supply, BP, Royal Sports, Little Brown Jug, Aikens Lake, Breezy Bend, Assiniboia Downs, back tonight, as are the Winnipeg Gold Eyes for their final regular season homestand of the year. Michael Remus, what is going on? How was your weekend? Great weekend. Some decent weather here in the city. We had a great time on Friday night watching the Bomber game. Um, feeling good, and the countdown is on us. Only, only a couple more weekends of summer. Sorry to say that. Yeah, we got Monday night football preseason style tonight. The um, the final final weeks days of August are ticking by, which means it's fantasy football draft season. True, and very soon the Bombers will be heading to Regina for the Labor Day Classic. And the NFL will be back, and we'll also have NHL training camps. And for many of you, kids will be going back to school, at which point you will probably be greatly relieved. Um, just quickly on Friday night, big shout-out and thanks to everyone that jumped out and um, uh, joined us for the game on Friday night. Uh, great to see all the WSTers out there. Certainly we're going to be uh, planning a few fun watch parties for jet games during this season, but it was really fun getting together for the, uh, for the bomber game. And I mean, Remo, the one thing I guess I'll say right off the bat about that game is the, uh, the takes about it being drew Brown's time. And maybe they <laughs> need to find a way to make room for drew Brown as the number one quarterback, probably not as loud today as they were after the big comeback in Edmonton. That being said, um, he won the football game through no picks. It was a more pedestrian game for the offense of the Bombers, but also the offense of the Calgary Stampeders. The Bomber defense was great. And special teams is huge. And uh, the Lucha kicker, Sergio Castillo, does it again. Just an absolutely brilliant performance. And uh, listen, good teams find a way to win. And uh, in those tight games, 
you got to have a lot of confidence in Mike O'Shea's Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and they did it again only by one point. They may not have covered the spread, but they got the job done winning the game, and 8-2 uh, and two looks pretty good coming back home for a Thursday night game against the Alouettes. Yeah, it's kind of funny to look at it. Uh, Mark Leggio in that game for Hamilton on Thursday, missing a couple, and Sergio Castillo, uh, I'm not going to say he's automatic, but he's uh, pretty damn good, and I, I know a lot of people have confidence in him when he's kicking the ball. Um, Where's the... Here it is, four for four, longest being 42 yards. The you know the key play was the Demario Houston um, intercept, like pick six. Like that was, I think that turned the game uh, for the Bombers. But overall on the night, listen to this number from de- from the defense. And I know that they, you know Calgary had a lot of big plays. There was a Mark and Michelle had a big catch. Tommy Lee Lewis who was running all over the uh, Bombers on special teams had a had a big catch. Uh, Bagleton with a big play, but on second down, and John Hodge pointed this out, listen, the, the Calgary was two for 17 on second down. Like, how how crazy is that? And there were plays, like, where they, what, they had the Mark and Michelle catch, and right after a Hakanuvanu, a, like, drop would have been a touchdown, and but the, off the Evan Holm uh, penalty, unnecessary roughness. The you know the Bombers defense stepped up and stopped them there. They just kept holding Calgary to field goals, and uh, with a game and no offensive touchdowns, uh, the team that had the field goal kicker that didn't miss won. Uh, what a wild game! And I know I'm going to the buffet, uh, touching on just about everything here. But yeah, Drew, I agree. All the takes about uh, this being Drew Brown's time and trade Calaris to keep Brown. I think you you can put those takes back in your pocket. It's not easy being the voice of reason around here, but um, we did say last week, come on, everyone. Let's not get too, too... Listen, you have to be excited for the win in Edmonton, and you had to feel great the way Drew Brown played. But Zach Caleros has established himself as the best in the Canadian Football League. Back-to-back MOP awards. Um, you know, And to be honest, an incredible leader, a reliable player. This was a good thing for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers to be able to get Drew Brown into a game as long as they won, which they did. But again, um, maybe it was just served as a bit of a reminder how fortunate Bomber fans have been since Zach Caleros got to town in 2019 because it has completely turned history around in a massive 180, (laughs) considering 29 years before of no cups, Two great cops, two MOPs, three trips to the great cop, and we'll see whether another one is on the horizon. Certainly, it looks a lot better. Although, like I said last week, Reem, you know, we'll get to the Saskatchewan game in a minute. Um, the fact that the Bombers are one game up on BC gives them a little bit of wiggle room, I guess, if they do, you know what, lose one at some point heading into that massive game on October 6th. They do play the Argos on the 29th, the week before, which which will be another great test for Winnipeg. But the fact of the matter is that as long as BC and Winnipeg are within one game of each other, going into that game on the 6th, that game will be for first place. Because, of course, even if the team won game behind, if that team wins to get into a tie, that game is going to be the rubber match um, in the season series between the two clubs who are 1-1 and after the two games played here in Winnipeg. So... The Bombers got their job done, and I'll tell you what, it looked like BC almost pulled off a bit of a Houdini comeback last night against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. It fell just short, though, and 
that's a big, big win for Saskatchewan, who, I'll be honest, I don't even think they're as good as their five wins on the season are. But full marks to Jake Dolagala for um, actually creating some offense, which had been few and far in between since Trevor Harris went down. And, uh, hey, they uh, they held on at the end. We'll say that. Maybe not a lot of style points, but a big two points for Saskatchewan. And uh, in a weird way, the Riders helping the Bombers last night. Yeah, this season... I have. There have been other seasons where so many backup QBs have came in and played well and won. Trey Ford Thursday uh, for Edmonton. Uh, Montreal Saturday. Caleb Evans with a game-winning drive. And yesterday, the Riders down to what their third string quarterback, Trevor Harris, Mason Fine injured, and yeah, Jake Dolagala uh, coming in eighteen to twenty-nine, two thirty-nine yards, three touchdown passes. No interceptions in front of the home crowd. Mosaic Stadium has taken down the BC Lions, who were neck and neck with the Bombers. I assume that both teams weren't going to lose the rest of the year, but why they play the games, Huss, and a very nice win for Saskatchewan. Samuel Emelis with the highlight reel catch, 100 yards, 106 yards, and a touchdown. And BC, I mean, I thought it was just a matter of time. Vernon Adams... He tried his best on one leg. You saw him limping around out there. 455 passing yards. Pretty incredible. And they see a lucky Whitehead appearance. Huss on a long touchdown. He's had a quiet regular season. Um, but I think they just ran out of time. And Saskatchewan showed maybe they are, you know, maybe they're not as bad as we thought. And I think that gives them some momentum heading into these two games uh, against the Bombers. But first, the Bombers do have Montreal on Thursday. Uh, yes, indeed. Just looking at some of these comments on the game, Reg Dunlop has one to be Drew's agent. Hey, I'll tell you what, listen, this doesn't like c- completely diminish Drew Brown's value, I think, going into next year. I mean, if Zach Caleros plays the rest of the way for the Bombers, I think that what Drew Brown has done over the last couple seasons will certainly get him a look or potentially an opportunity to being a starting QB, and that's all you can want. And I don't think... Listen, I mean, they won the game. He did not turn the football over. That was exactly what I think you'd hope to do. I just think that a lot of people were expecting a 50-burger and, you know, the Mm -hmm. offense just continuing. And I think just makes you appreciate Zach Caleros uh, maybe a little bit more if we were getting spoiled around here for uh, for the last little bit. And, um, you know, all in all, this is a team win. Uh, they did not need to to lean all over on the quarterback and the offense like they frankly did against Edmonton to come back from that hole that they were in. And uh, all in all, a nice win. And I mean, certainly more experience for Drew Brown playing at that position. But the good news today, Remus, as you just hit, is that Zach is back behind center leading the first team offense. And it is expected that eight will be back as QB one for Thursday night against the Alouettes. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think you were trying to be Drew's agent as uh, was a Reg, the commenter who, <laughs> who said that, I mean, if the first comment here was that this is Zach's team and there were people in the comments saying, got to keep Drew, blah, 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 you know, find a way. Hey, I still think he earned himself some money with the yeah, way that he's played, he did, particularly in the Edmonton game. Like, he didn't do himself any disservice the way that he played. Yeah, I, but, I agree. But but we were saying the whole time, this is this is Zach's team, and I agree. He still earned uh, himself another opportunity, whether with the Bombers or somewhere else. But, yeah, we did see it was Derek Taylor tweeting out uh, that Zach back on the field. And there was, you know, we had some intrigue in the depth chart 
Um, you know, last week, Huss, where Zach was third, we thought, oh, is he going to dress? Well, they don't have any other QBs. I guess you have to dress three, and he was in street clothes on the sideline. I thought he looked good, Huss, with the earpiece. And I don't know if he's yeah. got he's got a future, but I thought he he owned it pretty pretty well. But he's back and taking reps with the first team, and that usually means if you're taking first team reps on day one of practice. Uh, you're going to be in for Thursday, so we'll we'll get an update from Ed at the end of the show, Hus. But sounds to me like they took the week off, let him rest, and he's going to be ready for Montreal on Thursday. And you know, obviously, hopefully he's healthy for uh, the games against Saskatchewan. Just a note on Saskatchewan; they are off. This week, they have the bye, and then they'll be rested and ready for the two games against the Bombers. So, oh, uh, big big stretch here uh, for the Bombers coming up. Yeah, and, and listen, a pretty qu- relatively quick turnaround for uh, the Bombers. Um, although, I guess Montreal played the next night, so they've got an even shorter turnaround coming into this game in Winnipeg. And then a few days off, back to practice for the Labor Day Classic, and then the rematch in the Banjo Bowl. And... Uh, hey, listen, the Riders winning, as we said, you know, gives a loss to the BC Lions, which, you know, for the battle for first is a positive for Winnipeg. But I think it will also add a little bit more juice to the Labor Day game. Um, and certainly it's the way Dolagala played. But back to Winnipeg for a minute. I, I just don't want to overlook the special teams contributions and Sergio Castillo. And yeah. Remember what times, and we were talking about it last night. I mean, I I now have, he's basically up to medlock levels as far as confidence. Um, Every time Sergio Castillo gets out there, you just expect it to go through. And if it doesn't, it's a real shock. And it was funny seeing the Hamilton game (laughs) this week with all the issues that former bomber kicker Mark Leggio had hitting the post and missing a number of field goals and it being very impactful in their loss to Edmonton, that, um, you know, that off-season pickup of Sergio Castillo, huge and, and absolutely could be the difference between a couple wins and losses in the regular season, maybe most importantly, a championship with this season on the line. And I think Castillo re- reminded everybody just how good he is, and it's such an important part of the Bombers' winning formula. Um, and once again, he's great, and that's the highest compliment I can give a kicker, that his, the confidence levels of fans are in medlock levels, um, and they frankly, they should be right now. He has just been lights out and was a big, big part of that game. Yeah, and you, again, um, you know, he went four for four, Paredes uh, missed two. So uh, for the Bombers, you know, having that confidence in your kicker, um, it affects what you do midfield and when you're willing to go for it. And it is, you know, that can be the margin between uh, Grey Cup and not, or, you know, winning the division and not. So uh, a huge offseason pickup and, you know, maybe bigger than you'd like to admit. I do want to give a shout out to Greg McCray, Huss, on the final play. Uh, Paredes going for the 50-yard field goal for the win. Misses, and what a play it was by McCray to take it out of the end zone. Um, you know, good thing... The Bombers have such a great coaching staff, us that they tell their players that <laughs> you got to bring it out of the end zone on a missed field goal, unlike uh, Edmonton earlier this year who who took the single. Uh, I you know there's a lot of people who uh, don't like the Rouge and think, oh, why should you get a point for missing a field? I love it; it creates excitement like that. It's a field uh, field possession or field position game. Uh, I think it adds something different that other football doesn't have. So uh, that was a it was exciting there with McCray at the end. Nice, nice play by him, filling in for 
uh, Janarian Grant. No, it was fun. I mean, again, this is my. It is such an exciting time for football fans. CFL's in full swing. NFL's right around the corner, and. I, I know for some reason there are people out there that, you know, they like one and they have to shit on the other and back and forth. I mean, I'm here for all of it. The more football, the better. And as much as I love the National Football League and we'll be obsessing over it for the next two weeks with our drafts and bets and getting ready for the start of the season, I love the three-down game. And, you know, you bring up things like the Rouge. I honestly don't think there's anything that I would change when it comes to the rules of the Canadian Football League except for maybe adding another coach's challenge or something like that. But, I mean, as far as the way the rules are, I mean, this is – it's different. 55-yard, um, you know, 110-yard well, field is wider. We got the rouge. We got all those things. And that's part of what makes it unique and, uh, and why we love it. So, Well, what um, was that at yeah. the end of the BC game when a guy tried to boot it? Um, I forget who it was. Uh, he caught the ball and just tried to boot it to extend – the game. I thought we were gonna see one of those things where they like kick it back and forth at the end. I don't even know what to make of that, but yeah, I I agree with everything you said there. Uh, so only uh, only in the CFL. Well, as I said, we'll kick it around. We'll get a little bit more from Bomber practice with Ed Tate, and uh, we'll uh, talk the lay of the land in the three down league as well as get to a little bit of Jets off season talk with Jeff Hamilton coming up. But Remo. We should mention, I mean, we talked a little bit about, you know, where things were at with Logan Stanley on Friday. And sure enough, Saturday, middle of the weekend, everyone out doing something. We got the news that Big Stan has just a one-year deal at $1 million. I think what we said on this program was, I'm telling you right now, it's going to be a million bucks, give or take, 50 to 100 grand on either side. And it came in right on the nose for Logan Stanley. And now the big question is, can he make the team? Will he be on the roster? Does he get moved? But at least there's some contract certainty as far as what the cost is going to be for Logan Stanley for his services, whether he's here in Winnipeg or somewhere else by the time the puck's dropped on the season. They must have heard the show on Friday uh, where <laughs> we talked about, like, what's going on here with these Jets RFAs, Chisholm and Stanley? We spent a lot of time talking about it we speculated maybe he was holding out for a trade um obviously not the case i haven't heard any comments from him but a one year one million i found it interesting uh, dylan samra got a two-year uh 1.4 million contract and i think we can all agree that samberg's passed stanley at the depth chart at the end of the season and maybe coming into the year uh, you didn't have that kind of opinion it was stanley's uh stanley was the incumbent coming in and he was certainly passed, and there were the reports that he had requested a trade through Frank, you know, Frank Cervelli reporting that. And look, he signs a one-year, one million. He's going to be an RFA after this season. Um, I'm not sure if this makes him easier to trade or, or what, but uh, this is a big year for Stan. He's got another contract after this season. Uh, he wants probably wants um, some more playing time, which is why he requested the trade. And for the Jets, they've got to figure out this logjam of D where you have, you know, basically the top six set. And then you have Capo Bianco who's under contract, Stanley under contract and Declan Chisholm, who's an RFA, but he's, he won't be waivers exempt next season. So you're going to have to make a decision on who you're going to keep. So, uh, and Billy Hanel. Oh, and Oh, right. Billy Hanel too. For, and sorry for another former first round pick, uh, who's trying to crack the roster. So they've kind of just, Kept it going here with, with the Jets' D. Will they make a move or, or what? But um, 
you know, no surprise there. This is kind of a situation where you're the seventh D on a team. Here's your $1 million contract. And maybe they were debating on how many, how many years he did get a two, you know, he got a two year deal last contract. And this is, and he gets the one year deal here. He actually had a two year, uh, no, he's making 900 K, uh, before. So they get a bit of a pay raise here, but that was a two year deal. And now he's on a one year. I mean, this is all just basically the replacement level one way deal. Um, players, I guess he's a first round pick. He's played a little bit. I mean, if it was 900 grand or 950, it wouldn't have surprised me. I mean, if he had grinded them for an extra 50K or 100K on the other side, I, I, again, I mean, it, it is funny because Stanley, you know how like every year or t- every year there's a player or two that is frankly on the periphery of the roster that somehow, somehow, you know, begins all these sorts of hot takes and big discussions around them when they're, well, frankly, bit players on the club. Stanley's sort of that guy, but a big part of it is the baggage, well, baggage, the history of Logan Stanley, the trading up, the uh, controversial selection in the same year that Patrick Lina was there. I mean, to the credit of Mark Hillier, I mean, I've told this story many times, but when the Jets drafted him, we interviewed him later on that day on the draft floor, and he said that this is a very different pick. This player is two years away from being two years away. I mean, he's going to be here in four years or so, and then we'll see what he's at. Well, now he's been here for three years, and I think we've got a pretty good idea about where Logan Stanley is and what sort of a player he is. I do think for anyone, just because of you know his size, his pedigree as a former first-rounder, I am positive that there would be a team that would jump on Logan Stanley if they could get him for free on a one-year deal with no real long-term commitment on waivers. And that's something the Jets are going to have to think long and hard about if he doesn't project into their mix and there's not uh, the ability to make a trade. Um, But again, I mean, when we're talking about the Winnipeg Jets at this point going into this season, Logan Stanley's going to have to do a hell of a lot of work, I think, that if he's going to put himself in a conversation for a regular playing spot right now, considering the six guys that are ahead of him and the other competition that he has with the other young defenseman that you just mentioned to uh, to get into that spot. Dylan Sandberg was the guy that rose to the level and established himself as a regular last year. It's not just Logan Stanley knocking on the door trying to get those opportunities and make the most of them right now. Yeah, Logan Stanley drafted first round, 18 overall, 2016. He's played 114 NHL games. He's about to enter his sixth year as a pro. And I always think of um, Shane Malloy, who comes on, he talks about scouting, and he talks about draft plus five. And what is he on now? Draft, entering into draft plus six or seven, uh, depending on your math. And you know, we always see the comments, well, if he could figure out how to play physical, he's trying to play too much of a finesse game. I kind of feel like after this much time, if he was going to unlock this limitless potential that you think a six foot seven player has, you know, the Jets, I'm sure they've been trying to do that for so long, yeah. but it hasn't worked out. And look, sometimes, you know, you're hired by an employer and it's not the right situation. And as a regular guy, you have the right to go and find new work in hockey you're kind of stuck with the team that drafted with you that draft you and sometimes you know you're put in a situation that's a fit for yourself sometimes you're not I don't think it's worked out here as well as Logan would have would have liked for sure I mean you're the seventh 
defenseman right now coming into this season. So I think it probably would be the best for both to move on. And I agree with you. I'm sure some team says he's six foot seven and thinks they can, you know, they've got the the key that can unlock uh, the talent there. Oh, there'll be one. And there'll be one. It's fun. You know, it's fun. what was it? We, we went into, I think it was like last year's draft where we saw a guy six foot seven, Maverick Lamaru. And I think he was projected to go outside the first round and someone uh, took him in the first round because you just salivate over a guy of that size, what they can do. Um, if, so only, I, if only they were salivating over 6'7", Tage Thompson in that yeah. same draft as opposed to 6'7", Logan Stanley. Maybe it would be a very different mood around the, uh, around the pick. Um, well, and I think, because, yeah, we'll be talking about this for a while because they traded, you know, they traded two picks up to get him. And I think we debated at the time if it was worth trading up the up the two picks. And I I don't think this is the way they've had envisioned 114 games uh, played. You know, but he was injured this past season. Um, so we'll see how we'll see what happens here. But this is, you know, someone joked, "What if uh, Ken can get 18 minutes out of a set Jet second line center? How many minutes can he get on Logan Stanley? The Logan Stanley one year, one million dollar deal." <laughs> Yeah. Um, hey, listen, if anything this does is show and prove that the, the draft is a really inexact science. And, I mean, I know Rob Mahoney's getting on Hillier here. Mark Hillier blew the pick, blew the first rounder. Wait a second. Did I just miss that? Blew the first rounder next year in Vesa. Uh, Marcel Como. Hillier's not had Como's results. Those two misses hurt bad. Uh, dude, I mean, we're not. The, the Vesa was, what, 24th? And Stanley was an 18th, and again, still, I'm not saying that they, there wasn't other players. Obviously, Tage Thompson was there. That would have been unreal. But, I mean, the the, the success rate of picks at that level, um, you know, are, are well, hit and miss, basically, by definition. Um, I think that if you look overall at the body of work, especially what they picked earlier on, uh, you know, I think the Jets have done a pretty darn good job at drafting. Um but again, picks like that do end up increasing pressure. Um, but I'll tell you what, I think, and again, time will tell, uh, but I think everyone uh, pretty excited to see, uh, you know, the players that they picked a little bit a little bit earlier, but not much earlier in the last couple drafts in the likes of Colby Barlow and Rucker McGrory. So uh, we'll touch in on that as well. Uh, but Rio, it, it, this, this wasn't Jets news that completely derailed the entire weekend. Where... Uh, where, where were you when you found out that Logan Santa? Did you have notifications on? Were you at the zoo or uh, what was going on? Yeah, you know what? You nailed it, Huss. I was on my way home from the zoo. I did have, of course, alerts on Huss. I saw it. I was like, oh, Jets news. And then, yes, the Logan Stanley sign rushed to my computer, posted on the Winnipeg Sports Talk social media on our, our threads account, needed some content, Instagram. So uh, that's where I was. Thread still exists. It it does still exist. I think they're. I think once uh, you know, yes, it still exists. I'll just do that. And before we, I'll ask you what you're doing. Like shout out to a couple uh, people in chat here. Neil and Matthew say they both regularly listen on the podcast. This is the first time uh, they're finding us here on YouTube. Welcome. Thanks for uh, oh yeah. In. What's up, guys? Make sure yeah. Make sure you're hitting the thumbs up and subscribing here every day. So I uh, think and a couple other people saying uh, Elliot says. Hey, first time in a while, I can tune in live. So the Monday show, always very fun. So uh, thank you, everyone. Beautiful, beautiful. Oh, here's a take from Junkaken. Logan is being misused. 
Maybe is this one of the people that once uh, was thinking Logan Stanley for a um, a uh, a forward potentially? Um, anyways, we're gonna get at all this with uh, with Jeff Hamilton in a minute. And just quickly, I mentioned this off the top, but Brad Katona, Winnipeg's own, wins the Ultimate Fighter for the second time. We are going to have Aaron Bronstetter jump on from TSN to talk about that, what this means for Brad's career, the crazy journey that he had to take to get back to UFC, as well as a little bit on that uh, incredible knockout by Sugar Sean O'Malley in the main event over uh, over Sterling on Saturday night. Um, and Ed Tate from Bomber Practice a little later on, but coming up first, it's Monday. We go right in to the main event with our man, the hammer, Jeff Hamilton. Uh, just before we do that though, hammers uh, hammer. When he comes on, I'm wearing a hat right now because I need to get over to modern man. Uh, he could be one of our hair models, if you will, for a WST uh, guys. If you need to uh, like myself, get over to uh, somewhere to get the hair tightened up a little bit. Martin modern man, barbershops, the spot conveniently, with eight locations in Winnipeg, somewhere near to you, including two new locations, one on Pemina Highway, one over on Plessy Road. Modern Man Barbershops offer a variety of grooming services, including haircuts, beard shaping, shaves, color services, and more. They're waiting for you now. Easiest way to get in touch or make an appointment is to book your look via modernmanbarber.com. You can also follow them on Instagram at modernmanbarbershops. Um, Summer is winding down, but still time to head over to Aquatech and make 2023 the year you take the plunge and design your own custom pool. Not to mention whole home renovations with Aquatech. Thousands of rentals is their foundation. Aquatech can upgrade any space in your home. Um, with limited install dates left, visit Aquatech in store or online to learn how they can make your in-ground or above-ground pool dreams a reality and renovations. More at, uh, info at aqua-tech.ca. Another great weekend powered by Manitoba Battery. I'm not sure whether you were uh, out at the lake, maybe out on the golf course, but the bottom line is all this summer fun, you need to have it powered, and Manitoba Battery is the spot for everything you need. You'll be shopping local. You'll get the best price in town, beating the pants off the big box stores when it comes to price. And the most convenient service is Donnie and his staff will deliver it to you anywhere in the city of Winnipeg for free with any purchase over 60 bucks. It is really that simple. Batteries for literally everything. Find out more on order at manitobabattery.com. Give them a call to order, or you can always pop by and see them in person at 1026 Logan Avenue. And, uh, hey, Bombers back at home this week. Thursday night game against the Montreal Alouettes. And one thing I know that we'll see quite a bit of in the stands is CC and Ginger. Canadian club, the official spirit of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, now has the iconic Canadian club and ginger ale cocktail in a pre-mixed version in 473 milliliter cans and in six packs at your favorite beer vendor if you can't get into your local liquor mart right now. And they're also available throughout IG Field as Canadian Club is the official spirit of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. For CC, available at your local liquor marts when open. You can get CC and Ginger seven days a week at your favorite beer store. All right, let's get Jeff Hamilton 
back in on the program. Hammer back from Calgary after watching the Bombers squeak out a 19-18 win on Friday night. What's going on, buddy? How was the weekend and the trip? Hustler, it was great. Uh, Calgary was awesome. Got to uh, got a taste of all four seasons while I was down there, to be honest with you. It was a, uh, a balmy plus seven for the game, which had some pretty severe wins. So that kind of was a early reminder of what's to come. It felt like a Felt like fall football. And one last note is uh, my last day with this length of hair. I need a haircut bad. I'm going to a bachelor party in Toronto this weekend. I got a cut tomorrow morning. So I'm I'm set. But uh, as for that, just ready for a wild week and looking forward to what's on uh, what's on tap. Yeah, speaking of that weather, and I should give a shout out to our buddy, the Gitch, Sean Lishka, who I believe is in chat. Gitch was looking good, repping the uh, WST at the game and the bombers and i got a couple messages that it was absolutely freezing and i didn't like it didn't really look at that much on tv and then you pulled up the pulled up the uh the the weather app it was like seven or eight degrees and it said it felt like four um just bizarre and only in calgary i guess in the middle of the uh well it was 30 35 36 37 degrees monday tuesday wednesday leading up to things they had a heat wave this was and then there was rain then there was this there's the gitch looking good buddy what a stash. Nice. Um, Gonna use one of those for the game. <laughs> so let's get to the game. I mean, listen, people were pretty horny over uh, Drew Brown's performance from Edmonton. Yep. There was a few wild takes out there that we had a little fun with, but I think everyone realizes that, hey, you know, your backup quarterback needs to come in and find a way to win when the number one guy is out and you know in retrospect that was exactly what happened certainly didn't beat himself with no interceptions and they did move the ball at times quite well just had a tough time getting it into the end zone but when you have a defense plan like that and a special teams unit led by Sergio Castillo, who's now in a medlock territory when it comes to reliability, in my opinion. I see you making that bold statement here. Well, I'm just saying, like, I don't know what the number is. I don't know what the I don't know what the number is, but I mean, just from watching this, I now, when Sergio Castillo goes out to kick the field goal, oh, you're explaining what's inside your heart right now. I have medlock levels of confidence, and and honestly, and rightfully why, so. Why rightfully shouldn't so. I have right yeah, now? Absolutely. I mean, the guy has been absolutely nails. No, hundred percent. I mean, but going back to uh, to Drew Brown, I'm I'm with you. I mean, it was a there was certainly a lot of buzz. I liked your words. There was lots. Of, you know, people were horny about what this guy was going to do in in the sequel, if you will, from from the week before his performance. Great performance against the Edmonton Elks. You know what Drew Brown did. Uh, you know, even though it was against the Edmonton Elks, it wasn't like he went in there. You know, at the start and and hammered them. He came back from a twenty-two nothing hole and and carved out a a 38-29 victory and so you know a lot of that buzz was was certainly warranted I mean I I found myself not trying to pull back the the, you know the excitement just because I think Drew Brown's a great person great player certainly has a lot of potential and promise in this league Um, but it's just a lot to ask Uh, a guy who hasn't been hasn't made a ton of starts doesn't have a you know a lot of reps uh, you know live game reps in the CFL and so you know while while I'm with you I don't think he you know, I don't think he certainly didn't stink up the joint. He also wasn't nearly as exciting as he was against Edmonton. And, you know, I, I heard you t- kind of talking off the top. I, I'll have to disagree with you a little bit. I don't want to get too hyperbolic, but I think he co- I think he cost himself upwards of a half a million dollars in that game. Um, and I mean that because I think that you play really, really well against Calgary. You throw a few touchdowns. No one's asking, you know, no one's saying you had to throw four touchdowns, but if you could have come in there and really commanded the game and, 
and, and carved out a convincing win in Calgary. And mind you, that's not an easy thing to do. That's why it would have been so valuable. You would have definitely had teams at the end of the season looking at those two games and predicting and projecting, you know, Drew Brown being a, a great starter in this league and probably would have signed a two-year contract. I don't think he's not going to have interest at the end of the season. Let's just let's just suggest that Zach Claris plays the rest of the year and maybe Drew Brown gets something at the end of the season if the Bombers can clinch the West, uh, you know, like they have early the last two seasons. You know, if, if he doesn't get much action, I still think there's going to be interest. He's still going to get, you know, quote-unquote paid. I just think it's going to be a different format. Um, it's going to probably be something, you know, 150 up front and an incentive-laden yeah, deal. Like, that. that's just what we've seen in the past. And and the reality is it's not just Drew Brown. I'm not trying to make this like a, you know, you know trying to kick him, saying, hey, man, you could have had, you know, way more money. That's just what the CFL and quarterbacking is right now at this moment. If anything, had if we were talking about this four or five years ago, Drew Brown wouldn't even be, be getting offered that contract probably. But that's the state of quarterbacking in this league and also mixed in with some promise and potential and certainly some athleticism that Drew Brown's displayed so far in his CFL career. Yeah, no, listen, I got, I, I, you're right. Um, and, and I've got a lot of time for that argument. I guess my point is that I think today – He's in, in a better spot for a contract for next year than he was three Two weeks, weeks ago. ago 100%. Yeah, but before no the Edmonton no game. No doubt about it. But at the same time, you're right. I mean, this was an unbelievable chance with a full week of practice with the ones. And what else, where else can you say that, Hustle? Where else? Can, what game? We were talking about that. Like, what game, what sport, what league could that possibly be? have that kind of stakes for a week 11? Friday night game in Calgary, <laughs> like only the CFL, right? It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that there's very few, you know, the lesser number of teams, the fact that, I mean, the the draft, how you get these players is is very unique, and there's not a lot of guys with a ton of three down CFL experience, and that's why. And this is it was a huge and opportunity. You got guys for coming him. out the door, Huss. You know, Masoli, is he ever is he gonna play well, again? Probably not. Bo Levi Mitchell probably isn't gonna stay in Hamilton. I mean, there's guy Trevor Harris is probably the one guy you think is probably gonna come back because he's got kind of that Tom Brady TV twelve fitness stuff. So he's a bit of a freak like that. But there's gonna be guys coming out the door after this year, too. Yeah, so I think he'll still get plenty of interest. Um but I, but you are. I mean, if he'd gone out and thrown for four hundred yards and five touchdowns in the game, and all of a sudden was like, this guy's better than anyone else around. You're right. There would have been a lineup and probably a few more zeros. All that being said, um, I, I think that the way the game went, like I, I didn't think that he played poorly. In fact, I thought that he, and again, the coaching staff in a lot of ways sort of managed that game. Now, maybe it would have been different if Demario Houston doesn't do it again with a huge pick, taking it to the house and getting that point to actually take them from being behind to being up and then sort of playing with that lead. But all in all, this was a defensive and special teams battle. Both the teams went toe-to-toe. It was the defensive player that's made a difference on a huge, huge number of games so far this season being the difference. And then at the end, the Bombers able to get a couple first downs and I'll say it. I wasn't as, as optimistic that Brady Oliveira was going to have a monster game. He did right from the get go. And I guess if your quarterback's not going to throw for 200 yards and they're not going to put it in the end zone, you better have that line of scrimmage and that running game on lock. And 
I thought that was a huge part of the Bombers' success, especially late, as it often is in close games. Yeah, it was particularly important through the first two quarters, it seemed, because Brady Oliveira had 73 of his 80 total rushing yards through the first two quarters. He had seven through the final two quarters, and that wasn't because he was getting stuffed at the line. That's because, for whatever reason, Buck Pierce decided to completely abandon the run game. And it, it wasn't just Brady Oliveira. Nick Dembski was running. You know, Rashid Bailey was running. The O-line was creating holes. That was the one thing that I thought was a little odd in the game. And, you know, Buck Pierce has been nothing so- short of sensational for the most part since taking over as the OC in 2020. But that was not his finest work, in my opinion. There was just – and then the idea of bringing in, you know, Dakota Prukop. You know, as I wrote in my five takeaways after the game, I mean, I don't think I have more confidence in anybody uh, when it comes to, you know, cu- you know, getting one or two yards on a pivotal play than, than Dakota Prukop. And we saw that at the end of the game when Greg McRae took it out of the end zone, smart move, made it a one-point game in favor of the Bombers. The Bombers run twice, set up a two, a third, and about one and a half at their own 17, and they call out Prukop, and he, and he gets that nice as the game. That's what he's brought in to do. Why they bring him out, and I get that Drew Brown's playing and it's not Zach Claris because you don't think he'd do, they'd do it if Zach Claris was behind center, but to bring him out twice on first and 10 and have both those go horribly wrong in, in, the, in the fact that Krukov fumbled both of them, one and both had a time count violation, one leading the first one leading to a punt, uh, the second one, which was a third and one, they couldn't get their they couldn't get their minds made up in time. They send out the short yardage team late and then they draw another time count. Violation. It just seems overcomplicated play calling when you have a good player like Drew Brown and you have a run game that's working. But, you know, moving over to the defense, yeah, if Demario Houston doesn't pick that ball off, I don't think the Bombers win this game. I mean, that's just, you know, that's just it. I mean, that and, and a few other things. Mistakes from Calgary were plenty. I mean, Hanavanakanu or whatever, Hakavanu, whatever you want to call him, I've tried about a million times to pronounce his name. I'd certainly wrote it down in my story. Um, you know, he has an easy touchdown from the five-yard line that he doesn't get in. You know, Tommy Lee Lewis, who was absolutely terrific for the for the Stamps when it came to the return game, dropped a uh, you know a big deep ball down the right sidelines that 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 sets them up for you know put the, puts them in field goal range. That's another three points taken off the board at least if that's a suggest they don't get a touchdown on that drive. Then Rennie Paredes, I mean, the guy is certainly a, a great kicker in this league. He's going to be a Hall of Famer one day, but the knock against him has always been his distance. So for him to miss a, what, 43-yarder and then to miss the 50 critical critical uh, um, kick at, with under two minutes remaining, I mean, that's been the knock on Paredes his entire career. I mean, for years and years, when Calgary had that dominating team with, under Bo Levi Mitchell, they never even called him out for 50-yard field goals. They barely called him out for late 40s. That's because, one, he didn't have the distance, and two, they never needed to because Calgary always scored touchdowns or, at the very least, had chip shot field goals. Well, for him not to connect on that one, that's just another reminder, as you mentioned earlier, Sergio Castillo is just, you know, worth his weight in gold this year because he brings a level of confidence that, you know, you know he's going to connect. Renny Parrott is as good as he is. You don't have that same confidence when you start getting into the 50s. You know, you do make a good point. Like Calgary made a couple of ridiculously egregious errors that probably cost them a touchdown or two. Um, that being said, the Bombers seem to be, and again, you know, you got these cliches sayings like, oh, winners find a way to win and losers find a way to lose. And we've been saying about the Elks this That's year. That's how I opened my story. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, that is <laughs> exactly that, that what is, happened. Is, 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 it is exactly what happened. Um, and listen, there's three phases of the game. We talked about the special teams. 
The Bomber defense, and again, maybe if one of those plays that you just cited is actually executed properly by Calgary, we wouldn't talk as glowingly about it. But, I mean, it's not easy to keep a team out of the end zone for 60 minutes. And when healthy, this unit seems to have championship-level play in them. And we did see that at times, led by Willie Jefferson, Jackson Jeffcoat. But, man, this season that Demario Houston's having in, like, I don't know if it's getting enough run around the rest of the league right now. But, Jeff, and, and like, I'll still say I think Willie's the most dominating defensive player, and it's a whole different unit when uh, when Jeff Coates there. But, I mean, just by the numbers, Demario Houston's going to be getting some pretty big accolades, I'd say, by the end of the season if he keeps running at the rate that he is. I completely agree with you. It's about time to Mario Houston's name got its due. And it's not one of those guys who, when you look at the stats, you know, he's, he's kind of shown up for a game or two and has that monster game. and just seems like everything's going right. And, and you know, it just kind of shows all of a sudden this guy's got five interceptions in like two games. This guy has, has showed up every week. Um, you know, he missed some time, I think, for the birth of a, a child. Um, some injury issues early on, you know, started the pre started the, started the season on the, as the backup to, to Winston Rose on the, on the boundary side. So, you know, Winston Rose, of course, got hurt in training camp and, and there Houston returned up a, a, a place that he ended last season and replaced, uh, Winston Rose late last year. So it was a little bit of a surprising move heading into this camp, but yeah, certainly someone who, who, who showed up big and, and really did what the Bombers defense is supposed to do, or at least what they're at least what how they identify coming up with those big plays, right? Putting the lid on lid on the other team's offense, so not giving up, you know, those huge plays downfield. Now they gave up one to Mark and Michelle. That was an incredible reception, um, great coverage. I mean, Brandon Alexander got up and was defiant that the that it wasn't a catch. Sure enough, it certainly was. Um, those are going to happen, but making up, you know, coming up with big plays at at big moments, and and that certainly changed the tide. I mean, that's the last that what happened there was. The the um, the the stamps come down. They they end up kicking. They end up kicking a field goal. They can't get into the end zone because again, Mr. Hava Kanaba Vadavada, Hava Kanaba Nunu, he uh, couldn't catch the ball at the five yard line. And then they settle for the field goal. Then the Bombers go score ten points, including that pick six, and that completely changed the game. The confidence was taken out of Jake Mayer. Was taken out of the Calgary Stampeders offense. Um, but I will say this about the about the defense too, is that they were able to play well because while Winnipeg's offense wasn't dominating, they were doing enough to move the chains. And that is so important in this league. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's great if you can hit that, you know, big pass down the sideline, you know, much like we saw in the BC game as they tried to climb back against the Rough Riders yesterday. You know, those are great plays. They're exciting plays. But it's those drives that take six, seven, eight, nine, ten plus plays that are a little bit more calculated, that move the chains, that give your defense the time and rest that they need to play the other offense. And I thought, you know, while the while the offense certainly struggled and couldn't get into the end zone, they were moving, they were moving the ball downfield and uh, and giving the defense the opportunity to get rest on the sideline. And, and when you do that, we've seen that this season. When you don't do that, the defense gets eaten alive. When you do that, the defense comes up with big plays, highlighted by Demario Houston in that in that third quarter pick, and and certainly looking at the defense for carrying a majority of the load in this one for sure. Yeah, the, the Hakunavanu um, drop. Hakunavanu, is that it? Hakunavanu? That's what I'm I think that's a shortened for. version of a Hakuavanu. Or... Oh, okay, well... Haku, not to be confused with Haku of the WWE when we were growing up. Uh, that drop was 
six, easy six. Um, and you're right. I mean, right afterwards, the field goal and then the pick six, that's where things flipped. But Reem dropped the stat, and I wasn't, I didn't realize it was that bad. But Calgary was two for 17 on second down in that game. Oh. And I mean, a lot of credit has to go to the Bomber defense for stepping up in those situations, whether it be coverage, whether it be stuffing the run. I mean, two for 17, you just simply don't win games like that when you, uh, you know. Pretty sure one or both of those were by penalty, too. <laughs> My God. The tough, it's been a tough one for those guys. Actually, no, I, no, Mark and Michelle was a first down, I believe. But anyway, yeah. It was, uh, it was lean when it came to moving the chains legitimately for the Calgary Stampeders, and the Bomber defense deserves a lot of credit, and they're going to need it. Um, coming in to take on the uh, Montreal Alouettes, who sort of had a bit of a Houdini job in winning against Ottawa in a game that the Red Blacks sort of threw away. Um, but, Jeff, short week. Well, short week for both teams. Zach Calero's back. The Riders on a bye waiting for them in the Labor Day Classic. What do you make of the matchup this week and, uh, you know, the challenge of turning it around, getting it done against an Eastern team before the biggest two weeks of the regular season? Oh, I think the Bombers are in great shape. They're incredibly healthy. They've had the same roster for the last three games. Uh, doesn't look like there's any injuries. I mean, as you mentioned, Zach Kloros is coming back. So, yeah, obviously not a minor change, a big one there with Drew Brown for the last two games. But, um but Zach Claros is, is back. Montreal, as you mentioned, they're on an even shorter week. They got to come to Winnipeg. You know, the atmosphere at IG Field's been just incredible this season. And um, you know, as as well as as well as Montreal's proven to be this year, they're clearly the number two team in the uh and in, in the East and and certainly some heroics last last week or this past weekend, of course, to to come back as they did against Ottawa and and win that game. I mean, this is obviously a resilient team and, and confidence can go a long ways and especially in the CFL, but um, certainly looking at the Winnipeg blue bombers as the favorites here, uh, come back home, uh, get the job done against a, you know, a team that's good, but not great. And um, we'll wonder, we'll see where, where Cody Fajardo's status is at. I know Caleb Evans has been running the ship there and, and, and doing so pretty well over the last couple of weeks, but we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see um, to figure out what, what, what that situation is, but they got a great defense. And, you know, even off the top, we were talking about before, I mean, if your, your defense can, can, um, you know, can, can help you out and, and come up with big plays and your offense can move the ball. And we've certainly seen that in, in Montreal. Then, you know, you can you, you start playing complimentary football. You give yourself a chance to win every week. So it's not going to be an easy out. No week is an easy out, as we've seen from, you know, this season. This isn't the this isn't the uh, the dominating Bombers of 2021, but they're still a good team. And, you know, this is when this is when teams get even better. And, you know, as much as, you know, as, as we're looking forward to this week, uh, I don't want to get too far ahead, but those Labor Day matchups and uh, and Banjo Bowl, I think that's going to be going to be a particularly nice set of games, especially when you consider what what the Rough Riders were able to do to the BC Lions this week this weekend, and then um, you know then getting the bye week this week, so you know they're going to be fresh. I think this next few weeks for the Bombers is going to be a pretty pretty fun one for sure. It, it, it's amazing as as terribly as the Riders have played for the majority of this season their record going into the Labor Day game. I mean, it's actually not that bad. It's actually not that good though. Of, uh, recent, you know, I mean, if you look at, if you look at their, now I don't have the stats on me right away, but the Bombers have been pretty good in, in, in Labor Day over their dominance here in the last few years. So, but if you want to take a larger picture um, of, of what's happened, like even like Mark Leggio, wasn't it Labor Day that Mark Leggio hit that 55 yarder 
you know, late in the game. Like these, the fears of Labor Day have certainly um, have certainly succumbed over the last few uh, few years here. I remember going into Labor Day, you know, 15, 16, 17, even those years where the Bombers were on their climb, those were no easy outs. And certainly before oh. that, I remember writing stories about the historicals of like nine out of the last 10 games the Bombers have lost or have lost, have won one in like 13 years or something ridiculous. And when you look at the previous statistics from, you know, Going back to the beginning, it's it's even more in uh, in in the riders' favor. Well, yeah, sure. no, I just mean like I can't believe the riders are five and five going into the Labor Day Classic I mean, in the last think... ten. But I mean, what what are they in the last five? <laughs> uh, well, they what, what they they got their two wins against Edmonton were in the first four or five weeks of the season. I mean, week one was the goal line stand. I think the infamous Rouge where they gave up the eight and then nine points in the last one was, uh, what week was that? Oh, no, that was week seven. So they lost then there. Bottom line is that the um, this Ryder team, now onto their third quarterback, um, showed a bit of life in that game. Now, they did almost blow it, granted, but BC's a good team. And it, it, it is sort of funny on how long they stuck with Mason Fine and kept going back to him. And finally, Doligala comes in as basically a last resort. And he looked pretty good in that game against BC at times. I mean, hey, he got the ball into the end zone three times, and that wasn't something that they were doing with Mason Fine. He did look good. He did look good, but I'm, I'm, I pulled it up. So the Bombers have won the last two. So that's probably my recency bias. Um, I'm looking You're at talking about the Labor Day games. I'm talking about the Labor Day games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so the last two, they, but they've been last, yeah, last year's was 20 to 18. So that, that's a close one. I remember that was the 55 yard field goal from Mark Leggio that made the difference in that one. You don't, you know, you don't hear that very often, but, um, certainly it, this is one of those, particularly in Regina, I think the Banjo Bowl has been very kind to Winnipeg. Um, but particularly in Regina for the Labor Day Classic, it's it, it's never mattered what the records were, right? No, it's never it's never point. been an issue. So it's it's always been you know that's a, both teams show up. Usually it's a it's a close game. But yeah, Domagala I thought played well. I thought there was an ab, like a ton of confidence against BC last night right off the bat, and then you know waned a little bit as 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 things will get as you know other teams make a push back. But I thought overall you know, certainly, certainly ran the offense great. And, and the reality is, is there's, there's a lot of great players on, on, on Saskatchewan's offense. And if their O-line can give them the time and space, you know, to get Jamal Morrow going, to get guys like Bain Jr. going, like, you know, these guys are, are, are good players in the league. And so um, certainly, uh, certainly not, you know, certainly I don't think the a team, the Bombers, you know, are, should be scared of, but certainly a team they, you know, respect and will prepare for and, and understand that, you know, it's it's a different beast. And one of the other things I noticed, yes, in yesterday's game, Mosaic Stadium was bumping. You know, finally that uh, that stadium was you know giving you know getting things to cheer for, and um, and they certainly repaid the favor by being a being a very very loud presence. So you know, that's just that's always going to be the case. Uh, you know, you know, in, at Mosaic over over Labor Day weekend, but it will be particularly so, I think, because they'll still be riding that high from a very good win against the Lions. Yeah. Hey, listen, anything to uh, pour a little bit of uh, gas on the fire of the uh, great rivalry between the Bombers and Riders? I'm here for. Bombers just got can't be thinking about the Riders just yet. They've got a good Montreal team that I think is in that next tier underneath BC, Winnipeg, and Toronto. 
coming in on Thursday. Um, Amber, before we go, just quickly turn it over to the Jets. Logan Stanley got his deal one year, one million bucks. I mean, I think we all knew that that number was going to be right in and around that. I don't think anyone expected anything longer than one year. Any takeaways from the contract and maybe just your thoughts on Logan Stanley's personal situation heading into training camp, assuming he's still part of the Winnipeg Jets organization at that point? You know, just my takeaways would be the last piece of, you know, second last piece of business, you know, minus Declan, Ch- Declan Chisholm for, for signing RFAs, um, you know, a one-year, $1 million deal. I think it was just to get done. I don't see... Logan Stanley's long-term future being in Winnipeg. I could see him being dealt between now and training camp, in training camp, depending on what other teams need, want, you know, how, you know if there's any injuries. We talked about this last week. You know, that's kind of where I see him at. Um, it's just a crowded blue line. I mean, something's got to give. All six guys are back from last last season. You were speaking earlier in the show. You know, Dylan Sandberg is clearly leapfrog um, Logan Stanley on the depth chart. Um Al Capobianco is still in the mix, so there's 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 too many cooks in the in in the kitchen for the blue line right now. And and Logan Stanley enters this season, I was gonna say in a similar, if not identical, situation as last year, but I'd almost say worse. Um, last year, I think he was really vying for that sixth spot. Now he's still vying for that sixth spot. It's just he's not, you know, he's not. I don't believe he's the front runner as maybe he would have been last season before he got injured. So. Um, definitely, an, you know, an interesting year for him. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But I'm, I'm intrigued, Huss, because I started thinking more and more about like you know the Jets in particular, this, you know, Connor Halbuck and Mark Shifley, and I was wondering if you change your percentages because I have. Hmm. Well, I guess. And just to just to revisit this for people that are wondering, we had a conversation on. Essentially, this was the likelihood of those two big players getting traded, and if so, when. And I think I had said 15% before the season. What did you say? What did you say? What percentage? 15. 15. 15 before the season. Mm -hmm. I had 20 during the first half of the season. 25% at, sorry, 40% at the deadline, which would then leave 15% as a, uh, like for the for the players to to stay through. The bottom line is, if they're not getting traded at the deadline, that means the season's going very well, and there's a lot of things that need to happen. Mm-hmm. But focusing in on something happened before the season, I think it's really low. I mean, I think it's like if I said 15 before, I'd say it's less now. It's 10 maybe, and I'll just because I think there's the possibility that something happens that catches us by surprise, but no one's expecting it. But to me, the key part is that first two months of the season. Like as you get into Might the be end two of weeks November, of the season. well, it, it, for sure. But I mean, again, your opinion, what do you think that that depends on? Is it something here in Winnipeg or is it more things around the league? Like guys getting hurt and put onto LTR, like basically situations that allow cap space to appear that wasn't there before that prevented any of those deals happening in the past. Yeah. So my, I just, you know, talk to some people just, you know, who are good hockey minds, who are, you know, advisors, who are scouts, who just, you know, love to kind of talk about this stuff. And a few conversations I've had over the last week have convinced me, you know, I've changed my, I've changed kind of my percentages. I'd put it 20% before the season. Um, I'd put 
60% the first half of the season. I put 0% or 5% at the deadline. And then what? That leave me 25% as, as stain? 20, 15%. 15% is stain all year long. So um, low on the deadline. You think that if it happens, it happens early. I, I just hear. So here's my thing about it is that, and, and it's mostly, it's mostly Mark Scheifele that I, that I'd be talking about. I, I'm not sure that this falls in the same kind of, although I'm sure there is certainly some thought about it from Connor Halbuck's from Halbuck's Connor Halbuck's side. But I just think of what, like at what point do we start saying percentages of a potential holdout here? I mean, Mark Scheifele is 30 years old going into his last deal, last year of his deal. If he doesn't have a long-term extension in Winnipeg or anywhere else for that matter, he's a knee injury away from decimating a future contract. Like, I mean, he is coming off a 42-yard, two-yard, 42-goal season, which is certainly, you know, not going to be soon forgotten by any teams. But he's a hit or an injury away from seeing his value dip, and I'm not suggesting, you know, he's going to be holding out. That's, you know, that's me definitely adding fuel to the fire and, and, and being hyperbolic. But you cannot be happy being 30 years old, going into, you know, going into a season without a deal and, ha- and having the risk of your health and your future be in the back of your mind. I just, I just, I'm more, I'm more so leaning towards a trade, you know, a, a sign and trade or a trade and sign, whatever, early before the season, which I think I'm with you. I think it's getting rare at this point, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was early in the season. I just don't see it being an ideal situation for Mark Shifley on so many different ways, but particularly, you know, your long-term potential, your, your potential for gaining income. Um, I just thinking, I've just thought more and more about that. A lot of people I've talked to again, smarter than me in the game, no more people um, just having those kind of conversations. I'm more convinced now than ever that if something, you know, that it's going to be one of two ways. I don't know if Rick Bonus is going to want Mark Shifley on on his team with with an expiring contract. So maybe there's an extension to be made here. Maybe not. But I think if there is an extension to be done in Winnipeg, I don't know. I just I, I'm not as confident um, that Mark Shifley is going to be around for the long haul. It is it is such a a fascinating scenario because of how long he's been here. The There's no doubt in my mind Mark Shifley wants, wants more years on his contract right now, whether they're in Winnipeg or somewhere else. Interesting. Interesting. Because, I mean, the one thing we haven't heard, I mean, all of these trade talks has been, you know, essentially the Jets have been looking, you know, to change things up. We know Mark was a big part of the group that has sort of been the alphas, if you will, of this team for a long time. And I've said this before. I mean, I think it is naive to think that just by having Blake Wheeler move on, that all of a sudden everyone is different. Um, I, I mean, I think that would almost be a foolish bet. So, but I think that's the reason why they've been, we've been hearing so much smoke about Shifley being traded or them being open to it. But I always believed that it was more on the side of the team. What's quite interesting to get to your point is, you know, his personal situation and, I mean, everyone can have their own take about what a team guy he is. I can tell you that everyone that's trained by Adam Oates is, uh, it's about, uh, it's about doing what's best for you. It's about putting yourself in the best position to score, to get that big contract going forward. And I don't think there's any question that Mark Shifley's next contract is going to be a big factor in this season, whether it's a good factor, a bad factor, it is going to be 
something that I think, to your point, is uh, is very much top of mind for the player and his representation. And that ends up being a big deal around Winnipeg, and they're not the ones that are looking to extend him. I think that becomes, uh, it could become problematic. But more problematic than the last couple seasons? Probably not. I mean, we all know how that ended up last season and the year before. Yeah, no, and and I mean, and I don't disagree with it. I'm not certainly not trying to paint Mark Shifley into some. I think this is that's a smart business decision. I mean, no one wants to go into their last season without some security, you know, or or, or understanding of where talks are in the future. The, those who don't have talks, um, you know, probably or or feel like oh, I'm going to talk at the end. Like you know, Matthew Kachuk's name comes out, right? Well, Matthew Kachuk was 24 years old when he was saying he wasn't going to be re-signing or that you know was going somewhere else, right? And um, was willing to play his last, you know, d- year of his deal. Like that's that's different when you're 30 years old. There's a lot more things at play, and so it, it would only make sense that you'd want some, you know, security or some understanding of your future. And and I just the reality is, and it's the harsh reality of professional sports. Injuries hurt your value, and you know, Mark Shifley has been injured in the past few years. He's gone through his share of, you know, bumps and bruises and 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 whatnot. So. That would be something I would be interested in. I just it would be fascinating to understand what that relationship is right now between the Jets and the player because, you know, they might. If I'm Mark Shifley, you know, and you know, I, I'm looking at, I'm looking at making some changes here. I want to know what the plan is in Winnipeg. I want to know what my future looks like. What the offers are potentially to be in Winnipeg. Otherwise, I want, I, I'd want to be traded. Um, not saying that's the situation right now, but it would make sense if. You know, funny. both sides felt that way. The funny thing is, he can want to be traded all he want, all he wants. I think the Jets wanted to trade him all summer, and it didn't happen yet. So, mm. yeah, you might just have to, you know, nut up, go up, have a great season, do your best, be a good teammate, and try and earn the best next contract you can get, whether it's in Winnipeg or whether it's somewhere else. Um, I still think Toronto's an interesting dancing partner. I've been thinking about that for a long time. I don't have any other added reason than what I said before. I just think you have two teams with similar situations and similar players. What you know, something's got to give in Toronto right now. It's not you can't keep everybody back. You know, I, I wonder what Mitch Marner's future is. I wonder what a lot of players' futures are there. Um, you know, obviously William Nylander. I just think the Jets are a, a fascinating dancing partner for swapping partners and trying to go after it this year. We know that we know Toronto could use a goaltender. We know Toronto could use a centerman. Um, those would just be, a, it's just an interesting idea. Well, and, and just when we talk about the Leafs, just quickly, and in particular, Mr. Nylander, um, he has, well, he's a UFA at the end of this season. So I guess he can sign an extension. Um, but I guess, I mean, can we realistically think that if the Jets could pull off some deal and sign a player like that? Like for mm. a guy like Nylander, I think he's more than happy with going to free agency and seeing absolutely. there. No, it's just you know, Nylander would look really good in a Winnipeg Jets jersey, though. He would be the he would be the face of the franchise overnight. So I'm just saying it would be a it would be, for lack of a better term, swapping a problem for a problem. Yeah, as long as you had some clarity that you could, you know, hope. I have get this weird, done. I have this weird, maybe I dreamt this the other day. Maybe someone told me it or suggested I'm not hundred percent sure, but I have this weird kind of LA coming back into the mix coming back into the play with Ooh. Winnipeg and Toronto being there and maybe Dowdy in a Toronto jersey. I had a I had a dream of that. And so I don't know if that's going to come to fruition, <laughs> but 
maybe those were me, my brain leave, reading the tea leaves and, and this could just be a massive deal. Cause that's the other thing at play here. I think if you're going to do something crazy, you're going to do something with the players that the jets have with, with what the needs of those players are. I think there needs to be a third team involved. And we know Connor Hellebuck's been attached to New Jersey. Yeah. I imagine the big snag right there is New Jersey, not wanting to sign him to a, you know, a eight year deal for a mass amount of money. Right. I think there's still, would wish that he was in the door there, got to see him for the year and made a decision after that, right? Um, but I do think with just what we've seen this offseason, some of the, the, you know, with salary cap restrictions, all these all these things that come into play, you got, might need a third team. So those are the teams that, that I've been uh, dreaming and thinking about. Enjoy that bachelor party. I'll be looking forward to seeing what's left of you on next Monday. Yeah, I'll be in Toronto going to a Blue Jays game over the weekend. And I already got my spa visit booked for the end of the weekend, so I'll be coming back. Uh, ready to go for for what will be in really exciting next weekend, and that's in Regina for Labor Day. Looking forward to the next couple weekends and for doing the show on Monday. I, I promise I'll be there and I'll be ready. Looking forward to it, buddy. Have a great time. Thanks for doing this as always. Always a pleasure, my friend. Take care. There's a, there's a guy, Jeff Hamilton, at Jeff K. Hamilton on Twitter, and you check out great reporting from Calgary on the Bomber game on the weekend. Uh, All right, we are going to have Ed Tate on Bomber practice in about 20 minutes, but first we're going to check in with Aaron Bronstader on a Winnipeg or making history in the octagon. Before we do that, a big thanks to Vita Health Fresh Market for their support of Winnipeg Sports Talk with great prices on natural organic supplements, beauty products, groceries, and Winnipeg's largest selection of local products as well. Staying active this summer, folks. If your joints and muscles are sore, try taking Health Curcumin Supreme Extra Strength, helping ease pain and inflammation, and you only take it once a day. And don't forget, with barbecue season full swing, Vita Health has delicious grass-fed bison and beefsteaks for your grill. Nothing better than what you'll get for the grill at Vita Health. Fresh Market, empowering people to lead healthy lives. Six Winnipeg locations and online at myvita.ca. Um, the gang at Wallace & Wallace is always busy, but especially in the summer is the fencing and overhead door experts since 1946. If you need the protection and security of a new fence, Wallace & Wallace are the leaders with pretty much every kind, vinyl, ornamental, welded wire, chain link, or wood, as well as temporary fencing for any commercial or residential need. And if it's time to replace your garage door, Wallace & Wallace is Winnipeg's largest selection of overhead garage doors. Give them a call at 452-2700. Wallace & Wallace will arrange a time to come out and give you a free estimate. You can also visit them at wallacefences.com or pop down to their showroom on Lawson Road off of Keniston. How's the closet looking, fellas, as we get into September and the fall? If you need to up your menswear game heading into the new season, get on down to F Apparel. Custom suits beginning at 400 bucks, along with chinos, golf pants, custom shirts, both tucked and untucked styles, and an incredible selection of menswear accessories. 15% discount for wedding parties as well. If you're uh, having the big day coming up, get the guys looking great at F and keep the suits afterwards and not have to return them. It's all there at 190 Smith Street. Find out more online or make an appointment at F. That's EPHapparel.com. And a big shout out to Nick and Nikki over at the Nick and Nikki DQ Group. Man, there's nothing better than a summer trip to DQ. And the new summer blizzard flavors, if you haven't tried them, are absolutely phenomenal. Now, they won't be going anywhere come September, but blizzards are always better in the summer. So get on down. 
to the DQ in Northgate, DQ Polo Park, DQ St. Anne's, or DQ Niverville. And tell them your boys at Winnipeg Sports Talk sent you. All right, Eddie Tate coming up in a few minutes. Right now, though, let's hear about Winnipeg's Brad Katona's historic victory in the Octagon and uh, the punch heard around the world from Sugar Sean O'Malley with TSN's Aaron Bronstetter. Aaron Bronstetter, MMA insider and award-winning journalist for TSN. What's going on, my friend? That was a uh, that was a hell of a show on Saturday night. I'll correct you and say award-nominated journalist. You can go to worldmmaawards.com to make what you said a reality. But, uh, yeah, great, great fight on Saturday night. Uh, an awesome card, UFC 292 in Boston. Um, action-packed. And, I mean, hey, Winnipeg's back on the map, baby. Yeah, we've given you some awards. You're the man on Winnipeg Sports <laughs> Talk. So you definitely are award-winning. But, yes, get out there and help uh, Aaron win that one. Um, yeah. Brad Katona from here in the peg. We met him for the first time. He was an engineering student at the U of M. The most non-stereotypical looking MMA fighter on the planet, I think. And um, he made history on Saturday night, night, Aaron. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but for folks that maybe missed it, give us, uh, uh, give us the lead in to what was at stake for Brad Katona on Saturday night in Boston at UFC 292. Yeah, so he becomes the first ever two-time Ultimate Fighter champion, which... Uh, only one fighter has actually been in two finals, and he lost both times. So what Brad's done is pretty unprecedented. And really, I feel like it's almost a shame that he had to win this designation because he probably shouldn't have been cut from the UFC in the first place. But, you know, the road that he took to get here is just such an unbelievable story in terms of the amount of hurdles that he had to, to overcome to make this a reality on Saturday. You, you go back to his first stint on The Ultimate Fighter, this was at 145. He's naturally a bantamweight fighter, 135 pounds, which is a pretty big deal. Like 10 pounds in the lower weight classes, is uh, that's, a, that's a big difference because a lot of featherweights can enter fights at like 170 pounds on fight night, whereas Brad, I think, on fight night probably is in the 155 range along those lines. So he's probably giving up a pretty big deficit in weight when he was fighting at 145 pounds. But the guys that he beat before he got to the finals at 145 pounds, are Bryce Mitchell, who's 11th ranked in the world right now at featherweight, and uh, Kyler Phillips, who has been ranked previously at 135 pounds. So, and, and I thought those were the two guys that, in my opinion, were the favorite to come out of that division. He beat both of them back-to-back. Uh, and then he wins the, the finale, gets into the UFC, wins a fight, loses to a guy named Mirab Dualashvili, who right now a lot of people consider to be the best bantamweight on the planet. Uh, loses that, and then loses a unanimous decision to Hunter Azure, who was undefeated at the time. Hunter actually ended up on the season with Brad of the Ultimate Fighter, but he gets, you know, gets released after that loss to Hunter Azure. You know, I, I don't know why they decided to cut him. Still had a lot of promise. Wasn't super old or anything like that. Not a ton of Canadians on the roster. Then he goes overseas to Brave FC, which is one of the biggest promotions in the Middle East, and fights just killer after killer at 135 pounds, guys that I don't think he was favored to beat, is able to beat these guys and then applies to be back on The Ultimate Fighter, which he found out was going to be veterans versus prospects, and they deny him. They reject him for the show, and there are all these bantamweights getting on the um, on the show that he's superior to. Then it turns out that the coaches for that season of The Ultimate Fighter are going to be Conor McGregor and Michael Chandler. Well, Conor McGregor's coach, John Kavanaugh, also happens to be Brad Katona's coach. They kind of lobby for Brad to get on the show, and then finally the UFC kind of says, okay, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll let your guy on. He ends up coming on to the show, and um, of course we see what happens. He, he goes through, again, the lion's den, 
Cody Gibson, a, a, a savvy veteran. He beats Timur Valiev, who everybody thought was going to be the favorite to come out of the show. And now here we are, two-time Ultimate Fighter winner, and uh, took the uh, the road less traveled, really, and, and gutted out that win over Cody Gibson, where I think with two minutes left in the fight, he was probably down, ends up winning the fight, and uh, just a tremendous performance from Bad. I'll say this about everything that I've seen from the Ultimate Fighter. I mean, these the men that are in the octagon in these fights, I mean, they are so hungry because in a lot of ways... Their livelihood is on the line. This is their opportunity to uh, make it to the biggest organization in the world for MMA. I mean, both Katona and Gibson fought that way on Saturday night. I mean, you want to talk about not leaving anything in the tank. Well, you look at the format of the season. You had veterans and you had the prospects. And all but in the matchups to get into the semifinals, only one fighter on the prospects won. And I think that speaks to what you just said about the hunger of these veterans knowing this is like their last chance potentially to get back into the UFC. Like they've tasted it already. And there's a pretty big difference between fighting on the regional scene versus in the UFC. Like you're talking about 10 times bigger of a contract that you're going to get from fighting in the UFC versus uh, on the regional scene, right? So a lot of these fighters, like you mentioned, are very, very hungry to get back in there. So you look at Cody Gibson, he's been out of the UFC for, I think, seven years, something along those lines, like a long time, fighting on the regional scene to get back into this position. Funny enough, Cody Gibson's debut in the UFC was against a guy named Aljamain Sterling, who we saw on Saturday. So, like, that's how long, that was the debut of Aljamain Sterling. Both guys were debuting in that fight. So, uh, pretty crazy how long it took Cody Gibson to get back in. And to Dana White's credit, he said after the fact, like, Cody Gibson's going to be back in the UFC, even though he lost that fight to Katona because of, of you know, the kind of war that we saw between those two, those two guys. Well, I mean, listen, I think that's probably a good thing because, I mean, he would deserve it. But I will ask you, I mean, why do you think Katona was dropped in the beginning? I mean, listen, he's not your prototypical MMA guy, but I, I would think that that makes him even more marketable, especially with what that he's gone through. Um, why do you think he had to go through the route that he did? You know, I don't really know, to be honest, because he's such a talented fighter. The fighting style, I think was something that the UFC probably didn't like. You know, when he was in the UFC, it seemed like a lot of his style had been gravitating towards wrestling and, and trying to control opponents on the ground rather than striking. And now we saw, again, that fight with Cody Gibson. It was just an all-out all striking affair for the most part. And uh, if he's going to bring that kind of fight, those are the type of fighters that the UFC keep around. Even if you lose two or three straight, you're going to put on exciting fights. Typically, the UFC aren't going to release you. But, you know, in... in interest of transparency i think a lot of his fights uh in the ufc after he had become the ultimate fighter the first time were not the most interesting fights um well he'll have another opportunity what what does this mean for him he's got a new contract how many fights is that and i mean just from your professional opinion with the unique road that he's taken and the way that he won the ultimate fighter for the second time making history what can we expect from brad katona on the, the next chapter of his uh, fighting career well, again, I think that Brad is a really talented fighter. And I actually don't know how much more he's making in the UFC than he would have made if he stayed with Brave FC as their champion. Like, he was the bantamweight champion for a, 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 you know, a promotion that's pretty big in that region in the Middle East where they have a lot of money. I mean, you're going to make more fighting in the Middle East than fighting on the regional scene in Canada or in the U.S. for the most part, like especially if you're in the main event like Brad was. So I'm not sure how much more, if he is even going to be making more in the UFC. But for Brad... His hunger was to face the best guys in the world. Like he wanted to prove that he 
is as good as anybody in what a lot of people consider the, the toughest division in the sport, which is the bantamweight division. If you look across the board in MMA, not just in the UFC, but outside the UFC, bantamweight has typically been a pretty stacked division. So I think that's really what was on the line for Brad is like the opportunity to continue to prove to himself that he's as good as a lot of these fighters in the UFC. Aaron Bronstetter, TSN's with us talking about Winnipeg's Brad Catone's history-making victory at UFC 292. Um, just, I want to get to the main event and the fight everyone was talking about, but um, where does Conor McGregor play in Brad Catone's future? Um, like, it didn't start off well for the TV show for Conor. I mean, everyone sort of thought that he was an absentee coach. All of his fighters were losing. Brad was on the other team. He ends up going over because, well, none of Connor's guys were left and ends up winning it for him. Um, obviously, there's a connection with John Kavanaugh. Um, tell us a little bit more about the connection between, you know, Brad with the Irishman and what is next for Connor? Usually, when guys are coaches in this, that sets up another fight. Um, has he decided to get into the WADA, the drug testing pool yet? No, he's still not in USADA. And he actually put out a series of tweets. Yesterday, I believe it was, where he said that um, the UFC are have told him that they're looking to move his return back to next year. So it looks like the rumored December date with Michael Chandler is probably not going to happen at this stage. If I were to guess, they're probably going to hold Conor off until UFC 300, which will likely be in March. Um, and that way, he can probably get in the USADA pool right now, and people won't make us think about it because... If he gets in now, March, he'll be clear. It'll be six months that he's been in, in the USADA anti-doping uh, testing pool. So I, I think that's probably, if I had to guess, what they're looking to do with Conor McGregor. Um, and in terms of his relationship with Brad, I mean, I'm sure that they train together from time to time in the, in the gym. I, I doubt that they go a lot of rounds with each other because the weight class discrepancy is, is so much. I mean, Conor at this stage is probably a welterweight at 170 pounds, whereas Brad's 135 pounds. So I doubt they get a lot of rounds in with each other. But if you were on social media on Saturday, you saw Connor giving a lot of love to Brad Katona and his coaches uh, on Saturday when Brad got that win. Uh, Aaron, uh, <laughs> I've been a fan of Sugar Sean O'Malley just from some of his antics on social media. You can't take your eyes off the guy. Uh, listen, I don't follow this as closely as you. I kind of look at the odds going into these fights to see you know, what I should expect. And I saw Aljamain Sterling as a significant favorite. And I'll be honest, I went into that fight thinking that O'Malley, uh, obviously he's going to bring some eyeballs to a fight. This will be his, his opportunity, but I didn't expect him to win. And then I saw maybe the most perfect punch I've ever seen in the UFC. Um, how big of an upset was this for Sean O'Malley? And fill us in on uh, one of the new stars of the game after Saturday night. Well, it was a massive uh, win for Sean O'Malley. And, the sports books, I think, lost their shirts on just this one fight. Like, if you're going to look at just this one fight, it seemed like, you know, I spoke to somebody from FanDuel yesterday, and it was like more than 80% of the bets and handle were on Sean O'Malley. Cool. The underdog price was so tempting. And I think it was that way for a lot of other sports books where they had a massive amount of liability on Sean O'Malley, and Sean O'Malley ended up getting the job done um, in pretty spectacular fashion. So, you know, to me, I always called it a very volatile fight. Like, I felt like if, if it was on the feet, he would be dangerous the whole way through. And Aljamain Sterling, I think, you know, his best path to victory was, was grappling and taking him down. Uh, but Sean O'Malley actually admitted after the fight that he had a, a, a bad rib injury that precluded him from grappling for a lot of this camp. And that's why in the, the lead-up to the fight, he was calling stopping takedowns life and death, basically. Like, 
he had to approach stuffing takedowns in that sort of way, where if he got taken down, his rib could have, uh, injury could have gotten aggravated or anything along those lines. And he rose to the occasion. He was able to stuff the takedowns. And Aljamain afterwards admitted that he was getting a little bit anxious in terms of trying to put on an exciting fight for the fans. You know, Aljamain's had a reputation for not always having the most exciting fights and utilizing his grappling, which for whatever reason, fans of mixed martial arts have uh, an aversion to people mixing up the styles of the martial arts. But, uh, you know, I think that, he, again, he really rose to the occasion. And this is a guy who I think was a pretty big star beforehand. And you look at the metrics in terms of views. And the UFC did something that I've never seen them do before, at least in recent memory, where they showed the entire finish of that fight on social media right after it happened. Because typically they want people to maybe buy the pay-per-view if they missed it. But they, they showed the entire final sequence of that fight. And they probably have already invested more social equity, uh, social media equity, on Sugar Sean O'Malley getting that win than they did for the entire duration of Aljamain Sterling's championship run. Like they, They're putting a lot of eggs in the Sean O'Malley basket, and I think, rightfully so, this is a guy who has the rare opportunity to transcend, which we haven't seen in, in MMA in some time. Was the was the collective outlook on O'Malley that he was for real, that he you know was a legitimate opponent for Sterling, or... On Saturday night, did he change the narrative over a guy that gets headlines and looks good on social media to one of the biggest ass kickers on the planet? I think he very much changed the um, the way that people think about him. And, you know, you, you can kind of justify people having questions going into this fight. If you look at his resume in terms of what it took for him to earn this championship bout, every win that he's had, except for the one that earned him the title shot, are against guys that are no longer in the UFC. He lost to Cheeto Vera, who fought on the first fight of the main card, uh, against Pedro Munoz, who was Vera's opponent, coincidentally. He had a no contest where he had actually lost the first round of that fight because uh, of an eye poke, where Munoz couldn't continue, and they had basically a no contest. Then he beats Piotr Jan in a fight where, if you go back and watch it, the majority of people thought Piotr Jan won that fight. So uh, a questionable decision. So that's his resume going into the title fight. So people having questions about Sean O'Malley, uh, I don't think is, is out of the ordinary. The thing about it, though, that I think... Um, people are overlooking are the skills. And if you watch Sean O'Malley fight in those fights, like you can see the precision that he has on the feet. You can see how good his striking is. You can see that his, he's not a fish out of water with the grappling. If you go back and watch footage of him in grappling matches, he looks good in grappling matches. Like This is a, a well-rounded young fighter. But I, I think that the question marks that people had about Sean O'Malley were answered on Saturday. So if you had any questions about him before this, I, I think beating a guy as good as Aljamain Sterling, the longest bantamweight win streak in the history of the division going into that fight. I think that the way that he was able to, to win that fight was uh, a pretty big statement from him. Yeah, I, I know they give all sorts of uh, awards at the end of the year, but if there's a punch of the year award, I don't know how anyone beats that one. I mean, that literally was perfect, Aaron. Yeah, I, you know, knockout of the year is usually what they have, and um, I, that, that certainly should be on the short list of, of selections for knockout of the year. I mean, it wasn't like a, one of those one-hitter-quitter, action-packed highlight reel knockouts, but that one shot that set up the final sequence was... Uh, was that, that, that shot probably in a, in a non-title fight might stop the fight right there. Referees tend to give a little bit more allowance for champions and title challengers because of how big the opportunity is they'll typically give them a bit more leeway and leash to recover. And I think that Mark Goddard did that in, in this fight. But that kind of a shot that puts someone down like that, oftentimes, that's a wrap. It's funny you say that. I mean, and again, I don't know, watch you know all the fights, but I, I was kind of surprised 
they let it go on as long as it did. And I guess the minute that he turned over and his back was facing it, was that the, uh, was that the final nail in the coffin, if you will, or, or was that inevitable at that time and it was going to happen? Well, the referees look for something called intelligent defense. And what that means is, like, are you moving? Are you trying to block the shots? Are you trying to get into a better position? And um, the instincts of Mark Goddard in that moment, who was the referee, you know, he has a really, really difficult decision to make because up until that point, he's given Aljamain Sterling a lot of time to try to recover and show something. And Aljamain is showing a little bit. But when he is showing a little bit, you're also seeing Sean O'Malley land more and more hammer fists. And at some point in time, the referee has to say to himself, if I let this go on for five more seconds, is Aljamain going to be able to get into a better position? And I think when he's kind of turning and he's get, trying to get onto his knees and trying to wrestle to get back up or trying to, to stop getting hit, I think the referee at that point has to look at his eyes and see where he's at. I, I think that Aljamain probably could have had a little bit more time to recover, really. But at the same time, he also could have had a little bit less time to recover, right? Like the referee has to find that sort of fine line to decide when they're going to stop that fight. And I, I think that Mark Goddard did a good job considering a lot of circumstances in that moment. Uh, what's next for O'Malley? I, I'm sure he immediately becomes one of the most marketable stars of the UFC, certainly wearing a belt. And we know how much uh, Dana likes guys like that. Yeah, I mean, his marketability is huge. But, you know, when it comes to mixed martial arts, marketability has a shelf life based on how much yeah. you're able to win. Like, he needs to win. He needs to defend the title once or twice, right? Like, this is a very petty sport with a lot of reasons he bias. So, Aljamain Sterling's stock has dropped dramatically, and Sean O'Malley's stock is at an all-time high. But they're going to have to be very careful with what they decide is the next move for him because there are some bantamweight killers in this division that I think Sean O'Malley's going to have a lot of problems with. Uh, before we go, what's next for Brad Katona? Uh, I know, obviously, we'll kind of figure that out, but... When would we expect him? And in what role? Now that, I mean, he's finished with the show. He won the Ultimate Fighter. How does he fit into the UFC the second time around? If I had to guess, we're in August. I think that we see him in January. There's been a lot of rumblings that the UFC are looking at Toronto for January. And I think that that's probably where they're going to want Brad to return is on a Canadian date. You know, just quickly on that before we go, Aaron, um, you know, at times it seemed the UFC was so hot here, not to mention the fighters coming out of here. Um, it seems like Brad Katona doesn't have as much company as he did in the past. I mean, how, how would you describe the MMA climate in Canada and, you know, as that pertains to the UFC being here for big events? I would say it was pretty dire before June. This has been a great summer for Canadians because the card in June in Vancouver, the Canadians swept the board, went 7-0. and Yeah. And I think that was really the turning point where we look at kind of the post-pandemic era of the UFC. During the pandemic, the regional scene completely swelled up in Canada. Like, we, we barely saw any regional events. And it, it really, I think, had a bad impact on Canadians getting into the UFC because they didn't have a lot of places where they could compete and show the UFC that they were ready for that next step. And I think that right now we're actually re-entering a, a really solid time for Canadian mixed martial artists because Katona just won the Ultimate Fighter. You had all of those fighters win um, back in June. Tanner Bozier just got a win. He's a free agent now, but you know I, I'd like to see them bring him back. We've seen a lot of different 
Canadians rise to the occasion this summer. And I think that that's going to be uh, really pivotal for what future events in Canada look like. I, I would have to guess that we're going to see three or four events in Canada in 2024. Aaron, it is always a pleasure having you on the program. And uh, man, that was a great night of fights and big for Canadians and Brad Katona. And of course, a knockout everyone will be remembering from uh, the main event. Let's do this again soon, pal. Enjoy the rest of summer. Yeah, absolutely. Whenever you guys need me, I'm always happy to do it. All right, great stuff with Bronstetter. Ed Tate coming up in just a second with a uh, report from Bomber Practice and a look ahead to Thursday against the Alouettes. That game, of course, game sponsored by our great friends at Princess Auto, who also invite you to get on out early. 5.30 p.m., the doors open to the Princess Auto tailgate two hours before every game. 350 popping hot dogs, $5 beers, DJ finesse spinning. It is the place to be before every Winnipeg Blue Bomber game. Of course, Princess Auto, proud sponsors of the Bombers and Winnipeg Sports Talk. And the place you'll find the best deals and the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Two Winnipeg locations, Panet Road, Portage Avenue West, and you can always shop online 24-7, 365 at princessauto.com. Big shout-out to the gang over at Consolidated Supply, the leaders in irrigation systems, artificial turf, new and used golf carts is the exclusive club car dealer in Manitoba, and other great options for your property, including hot tubs and amazing outdoor kitchens, and, of course, they are the leaders in small engine parts and repair as well. you got to get down to Consolidated Supply for yourself. Check out their showroom and all the products and services available to you. They're at 1395 Niagara Road East. Or check out Consolidated Supply online at cte.ca. Well, another big bomber game coming up on, for, on uh, Thursday night. How's your... Uh, How's your wardrobe getting ready for another trip out to IG Field? If you need to step it up, head down to Royal Sports, a great selection of Blue Bomber merch, including many exclusives you won't find anywhere else. While you're there, you can check out the thousands of pieces of Jets merchandise, the new NFL gear coming in by the day, and, oh, of course, hockey season's here. Royal Sports, the uh, uh, original hockey superstore in Winnipeg, family-owned for 40 years the biggest selection in town and the experts to help you get the right fit and the right equipment for the player in your family. Royal Sports, 750 Pemina Highway. Follow them on Instagram at Royal Sports Pemina for the latest merchandise drops and sale information. Do believe they got a big tent sale coming up in the coming weeks once we get past Labor Day. And hey, a big shout out to our friends at Boston Pizza as well. Great place to watch UFC, Blue Jays, Canadian football, and Regardless of what's on the big screen, you'll always be enjoying ice-cold schooners, world-famous BP wings, gourmet pizzas, and the latest from the Boston Pizza feature menu. Staying in, order online at bostonpizza.com. All right, let's get out to IG Field and welcome in our pal Ed Tate. Talk a little bit about the Bombers' last win today at practice and a big game on Thursday. Eddie, what's going on? How are you? Fantastic, Huss. How are you doing? Oh, doing great. It was an awesome weekend. Great way to start it off. We had that big bomber watch party, which was well attended. Great to see everyone from Winnipeg Sports Talk that came out. Got a chance to chat with Kelly Butler, and the cheer team was there. And obviously, I mean, we knew the bombers were, you know, going into this game without Zach Caleros. Bottom line was, you wanted to 
find a way to win the game and preferably do it without losing anyone else. And I think by those measures, mission accomplished. Um, a win's a win. And apparently by uh, practice today, Ed, eight's back with the ones and um, nobody else that was in that game really missing from it. No, you hit on all the important parts there, Huss. Uh, get out of Calgary against a divisional opponent with a road win. Uh, you come back, you're healthy, and on top of that, uh, the two-time most outstanding player is back taking snaps with the starters on offense. So uh, a good Friday and then a good return to work on Monday for the Bombers because, uh, um, you know, it's not easy to win in this league. And we saw that yesterday in, in Regina with uh, Saskatchewan knocking off BC. So anytime you can get it done, it's, it's uh, you know, let's just say the, the win is getting examined because of some of the flaws that were in it, but uh, they're still 8-2 and two in the top of the West Division, so everybody around here is pretty pumped about that. Well, I thought the defense uh, you know, balled out. Of course, special teams was huge. We spent a while talking about just how reliable Sergio Castillo is. Uh, but let's talk about the offense. I mean, Drew Brown came in on a real high from that incredible comeback against the Elks where he came in down 22 nothing. I think that in some ways that performance raised a lot of the expectations for Drew Brown and the offense. The expectation for Mike O'Shea was find a way to win the game. They did that. Um, but, I mean, it was a struggle at times. Um, yep. Didn't throw a pick, which I think was huge. We saw how costly one interception in a game that close could be. In a lot of ways, that was the difference. But and when you go back through the tape and look back on Friday night, I mean, what was the assessment of uh, the coaching staff and uh, the group on how Drew acquitted himself with uh, Zach not dressed. Yeah, we talked about Pierce, the offensive coordinator, just a little bit ago here, uh, us, and that, you know, the bottom, the, Coach O'Shea said this before, the starting quarterback's number one job is to get the win, right? So if that's the, the main priority, your parameter, then he, he got it done. You know, I, I think we have a tendency, and I'm guilty as much as anybody, as, as fans and media, to overreact to things, and so... Now he does what he did against Edmonton, and we everybody wants to anoint him as the next great starter in this league. And then he, you know, he gets the win in Calgary, but everybody wants to throw him to the curb again and say that he's, you know, he was overhyped. Well, somewhere in the middle there is the reality, right? Uh, I think he still helped himself. I think, regardless if he, take, if he takes another snap this year, he's going to get a lot of interest in the off season from other teams because of what he's done. You look at his numbers this year, they're really impressive. He's led this team to a couple of wins. Um, you know, he made some mistakes the other night. Yeah, um, uh, you know, he could have been picked off once. You know, maybe they didn't see the pictures as clearly as he, he wanted to. But on the other side, uh, Brent Monson, the Stamps defensive coordinator, is one of the best in the business. And so they threw some things at, uh, at the Bombers, not just at Drew Brown that uh, – they hadn't prepared for or, or where it was a wrinkle. And I, I, I think, that, you know, again, if you can get out of there with a win, I don't think un people understand how windy and, and nasty it was, especially in the first half there too. So it was going to be a mutter all along. And I think uh, when you can get out of there with a W, with your number two quarterback having played seven of the last eight quarters, including the comeback in Edmonton, if you have two wins after that, that you'll take it uh, every day of the week on and nine times on Sunday, right? Freezing, too, in that game, eh? I mean, apparently it was like the mid-30s all week, and then all of a sudden it was seven degrees, feeling like four during the game? Bizarre. 
Well, so it's classic Calgary, right? I'm looking at the weather when I'm packing on Thursday morning to go, and I'm thinking, okay, so I'm going to go there with shorts and a T-shirt on, and it looks like I might need my parka too. So uh, it's, that's classic Calgary. It was There was a heat warning when we got there on Thursday, and by kickoff on Friday, I think it was 6, 6 degrees Celsius. Well, um, it was crazy, and it was windy too. So um, I, I think that played a part in some of the – the kicking too, uh, and you mentioned Sergio Castillo. It's not too often that uh, when I mean, Randy Paredes was six of eight. He did all of Calgary scoring. His two misses looked really, really awful in in hindsight. But uh, it was a kicker's battle, and and Sergio was perfect. Uh, just a, a quick. I mean, we talked a lot about Sergio at the beginning of the the year, uh, the uh, show. And listen, I mean. I don't know whether this is hyperbole or not. Just the way that I that I'm feeling, you know, as a bomber guy watching these games, I when Mike O'Shea taps Fortino the shoulder to go out and kick, the confidence levels that I have, and I think a lot of people are right where they were at the height of Justin Medlock. And listen, I realize that is very very high praise, but um, he really has established himself as a guy that you can count on first quarter, fourth quarter. And that's a huge addition to the team, especially considering the ups and downs of Mark Leggio, which we saw rear themselves again on Thursday night against the Elks. Well, it's really interesting how we value kickers in this league. Uh, in 2016, when this team went out and got Justin Medlock and paid a lot of money for him, I heard lots of people say, oh, they're overpaying. He's, a, you know, he's just a kicker. Why are you spending all that money on the kicker? Well, we're, we saw it during Justin Medlock's uh, days and then in after he left, the margin for error in this league is so slim that if your kicker can can get you 90% of his kicks, those are going to win you some games. Not just one game, they're going to win you a lot of games. We saw that with Justin Medlock over time. Sergio Castillo's 23 of 24 so far this year. I mean, that's pretty damn good. Again, mathematically challenged, as I always say, but I, I think I, I know where that percentage lies. And then the interesting thing about it is, I mean, uh, the Elks decided to to say good long so long to Sergio just before training camp. So the Bombers scoop him up, a guy that's been awesome for them, and and Edmonton even paid part of his off-season bonus. So it's like uh, it's a it's a it's a a benefit to the salary cap in a way too. So uh, I I don't uh, think that anybody should be undervaluing the what we've seen from. Pickers in these parts since 2016, how important they are. Uh, Led, let's get to uh, the question of the day. Zach, back, how did he look? And, uh, you know, what was the vibe around practice with QB1 back out with the starters? He, he looked like the Zach uh, we've come to know and love over the last couple of years. You know, there was no hesitations in any of the throws. He was moving around the pocket. He looked like, uh, I mean, after when we just spoke to him a little while ago, I think he probably could have played last week if it was a you know a playoff game or something where first place was on the line. I think a lot of what went into the decision was just to be cautious. So he looked really good today. He looked like a guy that uh, was uh, frustrated with missing last week, but and happy to be back. So, um, the and that with that, there's just a quiet confidence when he's out there. It's not like there isn't when uh, Drew Brown is there, but. You know, Zach started over a hundred games in this in this league and won a lot and won a lot here. And so, when he walks into the huddle, I think there's just a sort of a okay, here we go, number eight is back. And we saw some of that today. 
Um, Ed, let's, uh, I mean, a short week for the Bombers, but an even shorter, I guess, for the Alouettes who played, uh, what, on Saturday night. There's always, I think, the danger. And listen, the Bombers are pretty darn good at focusing on the task at hand. But, I mean, this year there's been a couple games, Edmonton in particular, where they didn't look particularly ready for the challenge, like, right out of the gate. Um, I know the Riders and the Labor Day Classics, that are probably a long weekend for the guys before practice is awaiting after this game. But the Montreal Alouettes, I think, are kind of like sneaky competitive right now. We, we look at those top three teams, but to me, Montreal is right behind them right now. And I do think this is going to be a challenge for the Bombers to uh, you know get into this period of a little bit of time off and then a huge week of practice for the biggest rivalry games of the year, um, but got to take care of business at home on Thursday night. Absolutely. You know, uh, yeah, Montreal got that rally win against Ottawa on the weekend, as you mentioned, us with Caleb Evans at quarterback. It sounds like Cody Fajardo might be back this week, but they're tough on defense. And I'm just looking at some of the numbers for Zach in the last couple of years. He's averaged in the last three starts against Montreal, his average passing is 212. So that's below his average. Brady Oliveras had good games against Montreal, but Noel Thorpe, their defense coordinator, always has some wrinkles. And always plays Winnipeg tough. Remember last year, Winnipeg was rolling along at nine and zero and lost that game here in overtime to to end their perfect start to the season to Montreal. So, um, it you know it's the same thing in boxing. They say styles make fights, right? And there's something about the way Noel Thorpe plays defense against these guys that can be uh, make it tough on Winnipeg's offense. So. Uh, but you make a real good point, Huss. You, you can't start looking ahead at having a few days off after this game leading into Labor Day or the, the doubleheader with the Labor Day Classic and Banjo Bowl against your arch rival. you got to take care of business. And I I think after being away for a couple of games on the on the road that this this team will be pretty uh, jacked up for Thursday night and, and, and not take the Montreal Alouettes lately at all. Uh, speaking of Thursday night, um, uh, I know the uh, the guys from the Bombers on uh, Friday night were telling us that it's the military theme. I know our friends at Princess Auto are really excited. It's their game sponsorship and all the normal stuff will happen, the big party before the game. But uh, but the, the game ball, I think, is going to be parachuted in from above, the guy was saying. There's a, a, a lot of interesting things coming in, and apparently a Ukrainian theme as well. I saw a Ukrainian version of the Walby burger with two garlic, massive Winkler meats, garlic sausages. Have you done any research on that yet, Ed, as far as your pregame prep? Research? No, I've seen the pictures. Uh, that burger looks bigger than my head, you know, so I, I'm not sure I would dive into that. It's got pierogies with it too, and I don't know, when it's got the, the roll of the, the sausage in there, I, I would think it should come with the you know, a, a big box of uh, of uh, breath mints too, because I, I wouldn't want to be sitting near anybody that tries to down that thing. I, it's going to be fun, right? It's one of the things about the home games that uh, somebody's going to try to dive into one of those things, and it'll be all over social media. It wouldn't be me. That's about a week's worth of eating for me. So, uh, but uh, yeah, there's there's a lot going on for every home game, but you're right. The military appreciation thing is cool. The parachuting the ball in is going to be cool too. So never a dull moment over here, but uh, sometimes the marketing department uh, has some bells and whistles that make it even more fun. Well, listen, as a veteran of the yard dog, along really? with Michael Remus. I saw that. Don't even get any ideas, chat. 
because we've done our part with the yard dog. I do not think that we will be taking on, although I think Reed was going with his wife. Maybe he and Leah can take down one of those together. Let's see if that, I'll do the camera work if he wants to. I was going to say, get the camera on that. Yeah. If <laughs> I'll volunteer myself for those services. Um, but it should be a great night. I mean, the crowds all season long have been phenomenal, Ed. And um, listen, the Banjo Bowl's already sold out. So uh, if you do want to get to one of the next couple games and you aren't already counted yourself in for the Banjo Bowl, Thursday night's the night to do it as the Bobbers look to get to 9-2, and two, which would be a real nice place to be heading into Labor Day in Saskatchewan. No kidding. Uh, you know, and... You and I were talking about this before we came on here. The Saskatchewan's five and five, and it's kind of a weird five and five, right? And they get a bye now, so they'll be waiting for Winnipeg after this Montreal game and have back to back. And you know, they they got it done yesterday with their third string quarterback and Jake Dolagala. But I think uh, you know, first things first, Winnipeg's got to take care of business. And then those are two of my favorite weekends of the year outside of the playoffs. So the Labor Day Classic and Banjo Bowl. It's such a privilege to be able to go there for the first one. And then the fact that the banjo bowl has become such staple on the schedule here for the week after those are going to be fun games. You get Andrew Harris coming in at the end of September for his first visit since he left. Uh, you know, I got that game in BC that the rest of the schedule is pretty meaty. It's going to be fun. No, cannot wait. But uh, much like the bombers, we all just need to focus on Thursday before we get to the rest of the exciting season of the riders and labor day. Uh, 7.30 p.m. Thursday night, IG Field, the place to be. Princess Auto Tailgate gets going at 5.30. We'll see you there. Ed, thanks so much for the time as always, and uh, enjoy the week, and uh, hopefully it goes well on Thursday night, and you get a couple nice days off on the week before uh, on the weekend before a very big week heading into Labor Day. All I want to do, us is go 1-0 today, and then 1-0 <laughs> tomorrow, 1-0 on Thursday. <laughs> You were, so one, you were one and oh for your visit on WST. Wonderful as always. The winning pedigree. Have a great one, Eddie. Thanks for doing this. Hey boys. All right. There is our uh, there's our pal Ed Tate. Uh, really looking forward to this one on Thursday. Montreal Alouettes in town, 7:30 p.m. And yeah, as I mentioned, uh, Banjo Bowl's already sold out. So if you're looking to get to a game in the next little bit, get on out there Friday night. Um, all right, before we get to the cool bet lines. Um, Matt, we announced our next sports trivia night at Little Brown Jug, I think on Thursday, and have already got a ton of response for this, and I think a bunch of tickets. If you you haven't already gotten your your spot, I would suggest you do it quickly. Just uh, simply hit on that link. If you're listening to the podcast right now, go to winnipegsportstalk.com. There's a link right there. Grab your tickets and count yourself in because weather permitting, we go, we are going to be outside on that beautiful little brown jug patio. So for YouTubers, the link is in the description. If you're a podcast listener, it's at the top of winnipegsportstalk.com. Questions are being curated over the next couple of weeks. And then, yes, yeah, 7, 7 p.m. on September 13th, our third edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Trivia, Sports Trivia, going to be a heck of a lot of fun and what better place to do it at than little brown jug while you're at it you can pick up your 1919s your generic lagers some of the other seasonal beers they've got in the meantime if you want to go check out the venue you're always welcome to pop in and grab all your beers and enjoy maybe some time on the patio on william avenue 
with our friends down at Little Brown Jug. Big thanks to our friends at Aikens Lake Wilderness Lodge. They're finishing up the season over the next oh, month, but already booking well into 2024 right now. If you want to find out more on the incredible Aikens experience, everything that comes along with heading out to Aikens Lake or booking for a corporate event or personal, do it now. Booking into 2024, akenslake.com is where you'll find all the information. Or you can hit up our pal Pitt Turan on Twitter or X at Akins Lake. All right. Little golf report for you. And how about Victor Hovland yesterday? All-time round at Olympia Fields. Vic shoots a 28 on the back nine, a 61 for the round and comes back from four down at the turn to chase down Scotty Scheffler to win the BMW and get himself into second for this weekend's Tour Championship. Big for the lock shop as well. We had Vic at 18-1, to and it also cashed our plus 850 parlay. Thank you, Vic, as well as Corey Connors and Sung J.M. We'll hit the Tour Championship for cool bet on Wednesday's edition of the lock shop. Our golf reports brought to you by our friends at breezy bend. Get on the waiting list for 2024 breezybend.ca or give Corey Johnson a call at the clubhouse and good luck to Corey Connors and Nick Taylor. First time ever. We're having two Canadians of the final 30 at the tour championship. And uh, Hey, the gold eyes are back. Uh, I thought that this was actually going to be Tuesday, but no, the fish are back at home tonight after a nice little weekend in Lincoln where they managed to take two of three. Tonight, it's the Sioux Falls Canaries. Beginning the week, Sioux Falls here for the next four days, and then the Kansas City T-Bones for the final four games of the year or final uh, three games of this of the uh, of the weekend after a four game series final final seven games of the year right now on deck check out the promo schedule lots going on fan appreciation night a ukrainian night the shirts off the back all coming up this week get to goldeyes.com and uh, make sure you get out to the ballpark before the boys of summer are gone all right, we got to get to our Cinnaboy Downs picks in a minute, but let's uh, let's fire up Cool Bet while we bring Michael Remus in. Uh, nice win for the Jays, Remo, uh, yesterday, and uh, just nice to get Bo Bichette back and actually scoring a few more runs than they had. You just saw how important Bo was to that offense and how many one nothing games there was while he was out. Uh, but they got the big win last night off today, and they're heading out to start a new series tomorrow. Yeah, what a game yesterday. I think they had five homers. Uh, so the bats were cooking. Uh, were cooking Cincinnati. And, you know, tough news. They're, they're off today, so we don't know. But Vlad Guerrero Jr. left the game with a finger injury. We'll wait and hear if it's long-term or what the situation there is. But Bo came back, and it's like he hadn't missed a beat. He's hitting doubles. It went out of the park. Uh, you know, putting the, the pump there on Cincinnati 10 Three, Hyunjin Ryu with the win. Uh, great performance there. And yeah, a lot of their games were these one-run games, but nice to put some distance in between the two teams. And who's going to belt two? Kiermaier, one. Bichette, uh, one as well. So, I mean, when you think Blue Jays, you thought, you know, 
coming into the year, you're like, oh, they're going to have these power bats. You hadn't like seen a lot of that, but they really came out there. And, uh, you know, Great American Ballparks, a nice place where the, where the ball does uh, carry out. So that was a big well, win for the Blue Jays. Uh, so they got to keep pace with Seattle now. Seattle's been on a heater sweeping the Astros, and they're in control of one of those wild card spots. So uh, Toronto, half a game back of Seattle. Um, oh, wow. So the Jays actually not in a wild card spot right now as we speak. 69 and 56. Yeah, half a game back. And then one game back of the Astros. And then the Rays have a little bit more of a, of a cushion. They're five up on that final spot. That being said, now they're getting the bats back. Fingers crossed that Vladdy will be okay. Uh, the starting pitching, especially with the way Ryu's looked in his last couple games. We know that Kikuchi's been dealing. Gosman's been awesome all year. Bassett's been good for the most part. Um, you know, you've got those group. Berrios has had a huge bounce back season. Like starting pitching wise, the Jays are in as good shape, one to five, as maybe any team right now. And, you know, the bullpen now that Romano's back is looking pretty good. So get those hits. The wins will come. The Jays should be a wild card team, but still some work to do. As far as tonight goes in the majors, looking over at Cool Bet, uh, no Blue Jays, no Yankees, by the way, looking to lose their ninth in a row when they get out there next. Uh, you got the Cubs, Tigers, Giants, Phillies, Cards, Pirates, Mets, Braves. Mariners are in Chicago to take on the White Sox. So Jays fans will be pulling for the White Sox, a plus 165 underdog. Red Sox, Astros, Rangers, D-backs, and Battle of the Titans. The Royals and the A's going at it out in Oakland tonight and uh, the Marlins and Padres. The lines for the CFL week are out. Have you seen them yet, Reem? Let's do I guess the lines. I haven't looked at them. I haven't looked guess at the, them. We do guess the lines. What okay. do you think the Bombers are? Montreal at Winnipeg. Um, I'll say Bombers by seven and a half. Oh, good guess. Eight. Oh, okay. okay. Very, very, very close. I was debating, very, very close. If, I was debating six and a half and, and, and up on that, that one. That was so. nice. Bombers minus eight. Uh, you want to give a guess on Calgary sure. at Toronto. Where is it? Oh, it's in at Toronto. Toronto. Sorry, you said Calgary at Toronto. That would mean that it's in Toronto. Um, Toronto by five and a half. Toronto by ten. Whoa, okay. Okay, I was, big, I was big, a bit big, off. Big, Toronto big, didn't big play this weekend. That. I forgot about them. What about Hamilton That's at high. BC? In BC? Yes. Okay, Hamilton by like 12 and a half. You mean BC by 12 and a yeah, half? Yeah, BC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, it's 10 as well. 10, okay, sure. That might go up. Uh, and then the Red Blacks at the Elks. Elks at home coming off that win have not had a home mm -hmm. win since 2019. Okay. Elks plus two and a half? Elks plus one. Okay. Very close to a pick em. Elks right now, money line, plus 100. Ottawa minus one twenty two. I, I do predict the Elks will be the favorite by the time that game kicks off. So there you go. And yeah. by the way, Grey Cup, Grey Cup winner. Argo's still a slight favorite over the Bombers. Plus one ninety for Toronto, plus two hundred for the the Bombers. BC at plus three fifty. So uh, there are your there are your lines for tonight. 
You can check the cool bet exclusives for a few Major League Baseball daily uh, exclusives. I do have a pick coming out, and I'm just going to go to the NFL preseason. Ravens and Commanders. And again, it's very degen to bet on the preseason. However, when a team like Baltimore has won 24 straight preseason games, how do you not just blindly back them? They're one-and-a-half-point favorites tonight against the Commanders. Minus 141 on the money line. So uh, there you go. Lock Shop returns tomorrow. Uh, we'll go in the morning and then lead it into Winnipeg Sports Talk tomorrow at 1. All right, Remo, let's get to... Oh, by the way, if you haven't played a cool bet before, great time to do it. All the NFL futures are up right now. Use the promo code WST on your first deposit for a 100% bonus up to 200 bucks when you play over at CoolBet. Um, finally, we get back to the track after a very unfortunate week last night, last week, Reem, that cost us Tuesday and Wednesday live racing. Yeah, and what was I saw it was raining earlier. I'm inside in a basement with limited windows, so I don't know what the temperature is like now. But yeah, we had, what, rain and smoke that it was canceled, and the temperature looks clear for this evening and the rest of the week. Uh, oh, no, it was wind. It was wind, not rain, right? Or the wind was the second one. First was smoke, and then on Wednesday was a combination of smoke and those 80-kilometer yeah. winds that were, uh, that were popping up. But, uh, but you know what? It has allowed them to plan an extra race tonight. And uh, we've got eight races on the docket, and uh, there's some... Big, big fields tonight. So uh, plenty of options to uh, put together your card. Yeah, a lot of my favorites, uh, favorite horses in this one. So I, it was easy for me to make make picks. I got to get some new horses uh, coming up, Hus, because I keep betting on, on the same one. So I do have an opportunity to make some new. Like if I had my like Mount Rushmore of uh, the horses that I pick every time, it's like McCaig, what, really slow. Savage Love, Maybella. I got horses, so a couple of those are on. I love it. I love it. Well, let's get to the picks tonight. Uh, where uh, where are you starting? Did you go to race number one? I'm not on one or two. I'm three, four, five, six, right in the middle of the card. Okay. I didn't go with number uh, – I did not go with number one, but I did put a win bet on number one, Miromic, in race number two. So uh, – <clears throat> One to win, Moronic, on race number two. All right, what did you have for uh, race number three? Okay, race? race number three, easy one for me. I am going, oh, no, this wasn't the one. This is the Triactor box, the trifecta. One, six, eight, Conti, my kind of night, and awfully special. One, two, three, any order. All right, I am also on one. I didn't go with the program selections. I took out awfully special. And I went with happy hour. So I've got one Conti, three happy hour, and six my kind of night. That's uh, that's my triactor for uh, for that race. And actually, I'm going right back at it with another triactor in race number four. Uh, and this one actually is, I guess, the uh, I'm going with Crown Royal, McCaig, and Private Frank. And that's the uh, reverse order of the. Uh, of the list. So any, anyway, could be a little chalky, but I do like it. I think those three horses are considerably better than the rest. Sorry. This chat is trying to keep up the chat here with the rumors. Were you on four there or you were on three? Yeah. Was that three? Uh, that was four. 
Oh, I'm on McCaig for four. I I basically said that. So that's my horse, McCaig. Four. Or horse five. What what sort of fake news do we have in the chat going on right now? Well, I guess Frank Cervelli dropped a DFO rundown podcast and um and said that he's under the impression that Chifley and Hellebuck are both not re-signing uh, with the Jets, um, which I don't know if that is real news. Maybe Shifley is is news, but and then people are popping in chat saying saying rumors that oh, are not substantiated. So I I'm trying you. to keep it under control. So because someone says rumors, then everyone's like, "Well, what's the rumor? What's the rumor?" So I don't. It's I'm trying to keep up. With all that. So I didn't hear a thing you said, actually, with your yeah. picks. So good luck well, on those ones. Yeah. <laughs> good luck. You took McCaig to win? I took McCaig, yeah. I took McCaig in race four. All right. Let's go to over to race five. The funny thing about the Shifley uh, business, just quickly on like him not re-signing with the Jets, so I don't think the Jets want to re-sign him. Like, I guess... Like I, I well, think that would that would truly be a mutual parting of the ways if that is the case, and that's why the Jets have been looking to deal him all summer. I mean, well, you were you were telling me know. like we're the biggest topic is who are the Jets using in marketing materials this year, and you were saying that at the Jets office he wasn't anywhere to be found on uh, any of their marketing materials. No, it's Ehlers, Connor, Morrissey, mm-hmm. I believe, or the uh, or oh, Perfetti. Perfetti's up there. Perfetti made the cut. Yeah, head of Morrissey. You know they're like, well, listen, there's a lot of Morrissey around. I, this is, just happens to be the three pictures in the office, but mm-hmm. trust me, if you're driving down Hargrave and you're going by the Hellebuck, Shifley, Dubois bits, yeah, pretty du- sure there's an order in. Pretty sure there's an order in right now to change it up outside Jet Skier. Is at Dubois the still on? Portage. Yeah, yeah, is Dubois still on the Jet well, Skier window? He was towards the end of the Sea Bear season, so I haven't been been there recently. But uh, anyone that's walking around there, you can. God damn it! Sorry, I've got stung by a bee. And uh, you did? A wasp. I did. Yeah. Recently. Man, I had to take down a wasp nest there everywhere a couple weeks ago. I got the spray. I was able to locate some. I think it's hard to find now the spray and i i sprayed the nest and i just got to go remove it this is what we need a live stream of you doing household tasks like oh, what did i like do the other taking, day like taking out a wasp nest I, that i would absolutely watch that as i'm sure most other people would i was doing some power washing on the weekend because my <laughs> brother-in-law brought over his new uh, power washer have you ever played the power washer simulator on computer it's like a game where you no. just watch stuff. No, is it as fun it, as it sounds? Has anyone in chat played it? it? Listen, it really is cool. I mean, you just power wash all these different things. It's very, uh, it's soothing, if you will. Okay, it's, it's not a cheap game though. But are they uh, really yeah. dirty? Power washer simula- simulator. Okay. Should we wash, do that? Wash everything. It'd be fun. You'd be. We an- should do live. It is. Idea. It is summer. Like it's August <laughs> twenty one. So. I have the goat simulator on PlayStation. I don't you're a goat and you just go around. I don't really like it. No. Well, you can I go to trampoline. I... That's fun, but I don't know. <laughs> Not my favorite simulator. Okay, we got to, let's get to the rest of these picks. I know we got a little bit thrown Okay, we'll off bring there. up I'll get How much is this power washing game? Ra- race 5. Oh, okay. Sorry, race I've 5, got a right. 
four, five, eight. Really slow. Always go with really slow. Out yeah, on a always. Saturday. And mass mischief. And I might I might even sprinkle as well on really slow to win. But four, five, eight is my triactor. I'm on really slow to win. That was uh, that was an auto bet for me. I'm I'm rolling with that too. I'm adding adding really slow to the card. Do a couple extra bets tonight because we missed uh we uh we missed last uh last mm-hmm. well those last two nights of uh of racing. And then I added one more in race number seven. I've got a win bet on number nine, which is Stan's Starlet with Ronaldo Cumberbatch. Like Logan Stanley? That's Stan? Yeah, big, big Stan, Stan Starlet. Big Stan Starlet. Okay, well, I'm on number six. Um, sorry, race six. Horse nine, Anna Kozana. Great horse. Nicely done. Ooh, I see Miami Souvenirs is back, too. There's a lot of big horses. Big fields tonight. Big fields tonight. Yeah. Great night. If you get out to the track or you can, uh, of course, watch them at AS Downs Live on YouTube. 645 Kirk Stretch give you legitimately good and well thought out picks as opposed to our hunches or horses that we like the name of. That being said, it's been actually going quite well lately. So uh, there you go. Mm-hmm. Live racing tonight, tomorrow, and Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Out at Assiniboia Downs. Um, <laughs> what's going on tonight, Rio? It's not particularly nice outside, but um, gold eyes are in action. I didn't think their gold eyes were an option tonight, but um, they, in fact, are. No day off. Just going right into Monday. And I think, as Andrew said last week, I think this is the, uh, the uh, jersey off the backs night. Man, uh, I'm not sure. My hockey ended uh, last week. We, had, we got knocked out of the playoffs. Well, I got some free time. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Fold laundry? Maybe work <laughs> on some videos? I did some computer upgrades here over the weekend that I'm super fired up about. Um, nice. Maybe now a- able to uh, do even some bigger and better tracks? Yeah. <laughs> um no, I well, I got I have to do some track research. Although I am researching right now has this power wash simulator. Check yeah. this out here for everyone on YouTube. Sorry, there's like a picture of a guy shooting a water gun at a video? train. Click on the video. Click on the video one. They'll show people. Yeah, there's all sorts. There's of a different... amusement park that needs power washing. Where you get different nozzles. Oh man, this is a dirty train station. Just got a power wash like the crap out of everything. Oh yeah. Oh, Mary Jane says I need to make more uh, emojis for the chat for uh, members. That that is fair. If you guys have any ideas for for channel emotes? Yeah, let me know. We got maybe, oh maybe power a washing. Power is, washer. <laughs> this is the power washer game. Power wash simulator. Oh my god. Soothing music. You just wash everything. I don't really know how you win, or but you just basically wash everything. And this is a really game. Do, wow. People, people really do like it. I, speaking of Steam, just picked up a brand new miniature golf game. Oh, yeah? That I, that I stumbled upon yesterday. I haven't played it yet, but I look in the... When I go to the categories, I go to the controller-friendly yeah, I hate playing games on a keyboard. And then the uh, the sports and racing game. I'm just trying to think of. Is it mini golf on Steam? 
Or is yeah. it something else? Is it it's, this one? Uh, Two ninety nine. No, it was eight ninety nine. It was early release. It only came out on August eighteenth. Oh, it's like new game under new sports. Game. Exactly. It was under sports. Where the heck is it? I've got Steam. Here we are. Go to my library. Should be able to tell me. Sorry, golf it. Golf it. Oh, here it is. Golf it. Oh, it's like new. Yeah. So I'll be I'll be getting into that after the show today and. Uh, oh, you come know back what I'm actually report here. I, I'm actually I got signed up for the NHL 24 like community test. So I'll actually be sampling that uh, tonight. I'm starting to get, I took NHL 23 off just because the game, there wasn't any changes and I had a, I had a child, a new baby and I just, you know, didn't really have any time. But now that I've got more time in the evening, Tess, uh, I'm going to tr- try to get into more NHL 24. They announced a lot of changes, cross play. So I've got some decisions to make about upgrading. I'm on a PS4. I got to upgrade to the new, the new generation. So. Yeah, well, we can have a thought about that. I wouldn't mind doing that as well. But in the meantime, maybe drop that nine bucks on Golf It and we can... Uh... Can we do... Can I play versus you? Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, you're on well, Xbox. I'm leaning Xbox, so we can definitely talk. Well, no, I got off, this on Steam. Off stream. Oh, yeah, Steam K. I'll get this on Steam if we can play together. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we can make that I've been happen. dreaming. My, it's my lifelong dream to do WST uh, game, game night somehow, either playing with people in chat or... Or myself. YouTube exclusive. YouTube exclusive. Yeah, it would be WSC YouTube exclusive. game night. G- getting Brando in on a game. I have to talk to, see what Ryan Brandt's up to. We should check that out. So, maybe, look at this. Maybe. Can you make a mini golf course in this? Or are you just playing courses? I don't know. Well, you can make the mini golf. There's some crazy mini golf uh, options in 2K23. Yeah. So, that's definitely something we can do. But anyways, we'll get in that. Maybe we can have a few fun mini golf games. Uh, we'll do that as well, but we should, we should definitely uh, get out so we can get this podcast up so people can uh, listen to the show today about the big win for the Bombers. Looking ahead to Thursday, Logan Stanley, and again, shout out to Brad Katona, mm. and a big shout out to my buddy Mo. Took us out on the red, or uh, I guess that's on the red catfishing by Lockport. Never done that before. Awesome experience. Really cool spot going in and out of the locks, caught a few big cats. We were just one inch short of a master angler. Those things are big. They're fat. They're disgusting, but they're very, very fun to catch. A great, great day out on the water. Uh, That is going to do it for us. Thanks to Ed. Thanks to Hammer. Thanks to Aaron Bronstetter. We will be back tomorrow with a little bit of the latest on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I believe Mike McIntyre jumping on tomorrow. So, State of the Winnipeg Jets post-Stanley signing, heading and looking into September. And uh, anything else, maybe a little Blue Jays as they get started with a, another series. Um, join us tomorrow, folks. In the meantime, tell a friend about Winnipeg Sports Talk. Hit that thumbs up if you haven't already. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel. Shout out to everybody listening on the podcast. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow, 1 o'clock right here on WST. Have a good one. Oh, my God. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.